Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by State Farm. State Farm agents know that in life, anything can happen. You might buy your dream car on impulse or come home to a broken-in apartment, maybe say yes to a proposal from your significant other and start a family, or find yourself in a fender bender when you least expect it. Whatever happens, when it comes to home and auto insurance, State Farm agents are there to help. With over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the U.S., there could be one just around the corner. Contact an agent today. Because no matter what neighborhood you're from or whatever stage of life you're in, check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood. State Farm, talk to an agent. Today, we're also brought to you by the ringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network, where if you love movie podcasts, which you might because you're listening to this one, I would check out The Big Picture with Sean Fennessy. That is in our Ringer Podcast Network, our feeds that you can find in Apple. Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get them. But broke down all the Oscar nomination stuff this week, including um, it turned out really nice for one of the guests on today's podcast, although we didn't know that when we taped this last month. Coming up, the third part of the Tarantino trilogy here on The Rewatchables. Let's do it. Welcome home, fuckface. <laughs> King of New York is coming up next. <laughs> I spent half my life in prison. I never got away with anything. They're waiting years for this. Expected to get away with killing all these people. King of New York. I never killed anybody that didn't deserve it. Rated R. All right, Sean Fettis here. <laughs> Quinn Tarantino is here. Yeah, this is the, the trilogy. <laughs> yes. Rewatchables trilogy Rewatchable with you. Trilogy, exactly. It seemed like this was the one you felt the most strongly about that we had to do. Well, this is, yeah, I think this is um, the classic of the one that we're doing. And a movie that probably, um, that probably means the most to me at the time that it came out and, 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 and still cast a, a shadow uh, of uh, of what it means to me then, what it means to me now. Were you living in 1990 when this comes out? Was I living? Yeah, where, no, where were you living? <laughs> oh, where was I living? Uh, yes, I was in Los Angeles at the time. And you wanted to break it in the industry, you see this movie. Well, it was. I, I literally was getting ready to, you know, uh, this comes out in, um, uh, um, comes out in 91, doesn't it? Or does it come out in 90? I think it's 90. That's what I figured. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so it's like- it's uh, New York uh, Film Festival in 90, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's New York, but I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually think, if I'm not mistaken, I actually think it's playing in the theaters. Probably, it's probably straddling mm-hmm. ninety and ninety one as far as the theatrical engagement is concerned. But yeah, I'm I'm getting ready to make Reservoir Dogs. Uh, you know, so it's like so uh, so this movie is coming out where I actually now know I'm going to be a filmmaker. It's not oh, wow, just, yeah, it's not just a uh, uh, pie in the sky anymore. I've actually sold uh, my true romance script, and so uh, uh, and I'm going I'm gonna, I'm going to be making it with this company, Live Entertainment. I'm going to be making it with uh, the company that made a uh, 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 King of New York is financing uh, Reservoir Dogs. So this was part of you know uh, this was you know one of their films, uh, but um. But it was also like a combination of uh, I had a whole history with Abel Ferrar as far as following him since uh, not his first movie, but his second movie, Miss 45, played at the theaters. And this was accumulation of what I'd always waited for him to do. But even before I get into that, which I kind of want to talk about that, before I get into that was just kind of what this movie meant to uh, me and like uh, 
uh, my partner at the time, Roger Avery, and all the other guys at Video Archives, and then also just kind of young filmmakers, because um, most of us were coming out of an attitude that the 80s was the worst decade in the history of Hollywood since the 50s, and definitely the most repressive decade. And the movies we looked to were Hong Kong, all right, because they broke the rules that Hollywood was adhering to. Yeah. And both with their violence and then their extremities and just the wild things that could be done that just couldn't be done. And you would totally, like, read interesting paperbacks that you thought were terrific crime novels and everything. Then they'd make them into a movie and you knew that it was going to be bastardized because they couldn't do what the novels could do. And then like, uh, you knew that, uh, you'd see some really interesting foreign film and they, Hollywood bought the rights and you knew they, they'd screw it up and ruin it because they couldn't do that in Hollywood. And you were right. They did all those things. And, um, right before I did my film, two movies came out that broke that mold. And actually showed, kind of like pointed the way that we were where we were going to go in the '90s, and one was King of New York, and the other was La Femme Nikita. And it's like when they came out, it was just like, yes, this is where it is at. But it was also something kind of funny about it, because even watching it today, and imagine talking about it, you got a certain kind of anxiety watching King of New York because I think. It's an absolute cinematic masterpiece. But there's an anxiety going around because it's so disruptable. You know not everybody's going to get it. So you're going to have to fight for it. If you're going to talk about it in the terms that you want to talk about it, you're going to have to fight for it. And a whole lot of people are just not going to get it. Because um, it can't even be compared to Abel Ferrar's next movie, The Bad Lieutenant. Because the bad lieutenant exists in an art house world. It is an art house piece of product. And and this kind of genre-fied art house movie, well, that's it. That by that point, that became its own thing. Yeah. And I helped make yeah. that happen. Mm-hmm. That became its own thing. This is still in the exploitation movie world. Yeah. It doesn't have it it it, uh, it has the patina of this great look and these magnificent actors and all this stuff, but it is in this exploitation-y, no, we're, our job is to make a big violent uh, crime film that black folks are going to dig. <laughs> right. And that's what it is. And that's what it does. And it's, uh, but it's, it's not trying to be Scorsese, you know, as, as, as much, as close as it is, as close as it adheres to, uh, as, as much of it as, as it seems like a, a, a weird stepchild of Goodfellas from the same year. Um, it has a more down market, disreputable B-movie vibe to it. Yeah, it doesn't have any of the faith yeah. and spirituality stuff that Bad Lieutenant has, mm-hmm, which yeah. a lot of critics glommed onto. Yeah, right? yeah, it's uh-huh. much more visceral, but it's kind of a moral movie. You know, yeah. it's a Robin Hood movie. It's, it's got some ideas yeah. about what is good and what is not good, what is wrong and with the system and what is right with the system. And Oh, well, we're going to talk about it later and everything, but I mean, frankly, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's the cops have ruined Frank's plan. Yeah. I mean, they they bring the whole fucking movie down. Yeah, they're 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 kind of fun to be around though, even yeah, yeah, though they're yeah. awful. Yeah, but that's a, that's a com- complexity of the movie. Yeah. It was such a weird time to love movies right around because yeah. I remember like Heather's came out. I'm gonna say '88. That's another one. Yeah, and that was such like a crazy movie, and I just loved it. And I loved Winona Ryder and Slater. From, just seemed fuck like Jack me gently with a chainsaw. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> and it was like, what is this? Yep. And people loved it, and then there was a backlash to it. Yeah, yeah. And 
That was the first, because we were talking before we started about all these movies in the 70s and 80s that are just crazy to rewatch now. Mm-hmm. And some of the scenes that we're in, and we're like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. Mm-hmm. And as and in the late 80s, that started a shift. And I mean, when this movie came out, yeah. Kings of New York, people were fucking furious about it. Like people were walking out of the New York City Film Festival. Yeah. And, um, well, well, forget about that. that. Well, forget about that. All right. I forget about those guys. All right. Of course, they're going to re- react that way. That's the, that's the hoi polloi that would never buy a ticket for this movie. Right. right all right? right. But people weren't walking out of the theaters when it was playing. Mm-hmm. All right. People were buying it, you know, going to see it the, uh, two or th- two or three times. It was a small audience. I mean, what was interesting about it though, was King of New York came out and it sent, if, if you were on its vibe, it sent out a shockwave to you. Now, look, the audience that it was really that that really connected with it was, was uh, the black audience, and they didn't find it until video, right? They didn't find it till video. They didn't find it till cable. All right, so it wasn't like they were filling the theaters. But now, the thing that was interesting is after King of New York, I'm I'm going to ballpark this, but somewhere within after its last actual play date. Six weeks or so later, seven weeks or so later, came New Jack City. Mm-hmm. Which I felt like yeah. just living in Massachusetts was a mm-hmm. much bigger deal. Yeah, yeah, no, no phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. New Jack City like was the hit that King and uh, theatrically the King in New York wasn't. But to all of us, New Jack City was the Diet Coke version of right, King right, of New right, York. Right. Now, actually, it was still worth watching because we loved King of New York so much that even to take a watered-down version of it, all right, was 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 better than anything else. But, you know, to us, you know, uh, uh, um, New Jack City was to King of New York what The Hunger Games was to uh, uh, Battle Royale. Right, right. <laughs> but <laughs> It's I feel- like the weak-ass fucking version, but nevertheless. Right. <laughs> but this is also one of those things where New Jack City was available to a lot more people. Mm-hmm. It was harder for people. If you lived in Ohio mm-hmm. in 1990, it might have been tough to see King of New York. Oh, yeah. It didn't open in as many theaters. Movies didn't get distributed the way that they do now. Mm-hmm. And even the dialogue around a movie like this, like, mm-hmm. you'd have to really be paying attention to know about Abel Ferrara's eighth movie. Well, no, it was like, you know, there was, I mean, I, I actually know a lot about the history of uh, of uh, King. I, I'll, I'll save it for a uh, 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 possible uh, casting things because I actually know yeah. a whole lot of inside shit. Oh, good, because there yeah. wasn't a lot of good Yeah, I know. I know a whole lot of inside shit well, I remember- uh, about this. But at one point, though, just to make your point about that, was at one point uh, it was, they almost uh, able almost did it for Universal because mm. at Universal at that time I remember because I, I met with them we all met with the dude at some point there was uh, um, uh, the guy uh, Jim Jacks and Casey Silver had a shingle there and their whole thing at at, uh, uh, at their shingle was for Jim Jacks to bring in the independent filmmakers. <laughs> All right, that 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 did really terrific work that stood out in the film festival circuit that did good independent films and bring them under the fold at Universal. And then uh and you know their whole thing was like, yo, well, you then you get to make a movie with Universal and you get to make a studio movie and then and we can keep you uh, uh we can keep them off you. And so they had done that with uh uh, uh Sam Raimi. All right, so Sam Raimi had gone to Universal and made Dark Man for them. Uh, Rick Linklater had gone to Universal and made Days and Confused for them. They're the ones that brought John Woo in, uh, over to America and did, they did Hard Target. And they talked with us at one point and they talked they talk with everybody. They talked with Robert Rodriguez at one point. They were trying to get all the guys. And at one point— All genre guys, though, yeah, basically. Well, uh, well, I don't think they looked at it. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think they looked at Rick Linklater as a genre guy. Right. You know, they yeah. were, we were the independent guys that mm-hmm. stood out. Right, you know, and 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 they did it with uh, Kevin Smith with Mallrats. Mm-hmm. 
They're the ones that brought him over to Universal. So uh, uh, that was their whole game plan. It was a pretty damn good game plan, actually. Um, and at one point, they were going to do King of New York at Universal. But at, then at some point, uh, I remember talking with Jim Jack. And goes, yes, eventually we let it go because, you know, uh, we claimed that the script had story problems. And as you can see from the film now, it does have story problems, you know. And I was like, that's the best film of the year. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I remember, so I was going to school in Worcester, but my dad lived outside of Boston and Boston had this one theater that would show movies like this called mm. the Nickelodeon, which mm. was in Boston University. It was just really hard to find movies like this, even yeah. in a big city, you know, Boston, yeah. outside of Boston. There was one theater that had a chance to do this or yeah, Henry, yeah, uh-huh. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or right, all those yeah, types yeah, yeah. of movies. It was only at the Nickelodeon. That was it. I think by the time... Mm. You know, mid '90s rolled around. Yeah, they started moving in the bigger theaters. But right, King yeah. of New York, if you didn't go see it in the two weeks it was at the Nickelodeon, it was gone. That was yeah, it. no, no, King, no, no. If King of New York had been released by Universal, it could have had a chance. Yeah, of, I mean, because because New Jack City caught its wave within six weeks of King of New York. Yeah, and look at the cast of this movie. It's yeah. riddled with charismatic, fascinating people who are about to be famous. Oh, oh no, I mean, but even you know, even more than that, there is an aspect, I mean, one, this, it's wonderful as far as that's concerned, and that's always exciting when you can look at a movie that way. It's really, like, yeah. amazing. It's insane. Yeah. But even more than, than just that, it's more specific than that, because this is literally a movie filled with a cast of the most exciting young New York actors of that era of that time i mean like uh uh, when you just just looking at the opening credits as he's driving as he's driving home in the uh in the limo and you're just like oh my goodness this one (laughs) that one and this one you know and they all you know and and they've all done shit so you all know who they are but they haven't exploded the way they're going to it's literally it's it's and then it's two years before steve semi scores with reservoir dogs it's it's uh uh, it's seven weeks before wesley snipes scores with uh uh, new jack city (laughs) yeah it's two years before caruso is the biggest star on tv yeah well, and then there's some people that you would have thought would have been big stars that never became big stars, and mm-hmm. I'm still confused by it. Like Paul Calderon, mm-hmm. I always really liked him. I don't, yeah, I don't know why why he well, didn't, Paul, was well, one of the people well, that made Paul it. Paul Calderon is uh, uh, he was one of the fantastic actors of that of that era and everything. Time he was the guy who almost beat Sam Jackson for the role of Jules in uh, uh, Pulp Fiction. Holy shit! Now there's a whole story about how how I wrote it for Sam. I go, but I'm still going to audition people. And Sam was like, well, you audition who you want. Ain't, ain't no one going to take it away from me. <laughs> you know? And, uh, um, and so then, uh, so then Paul Calderon came in and he, and he just killed it. He just killed it. And then Sam comes in and kind of walks through his audition and it's not as good as Paul Calderon's. And oh. so I'm going to give it to Paul. And Sam went, what? What the hell? Well, you said and audition anybody I want. And Paul Calderon came in and he blew your ass away. That's what, that's what, what? <laughs> well, shit, I didn't know how this shit was like do or die. Isn't it always do or die if you're reading my work? You know? Uh, uh, and uh, and then all like Harvey Weinstein was like, it's got to be Sam. What are you talking about? Uh, uh, Paul called a who? Uh, you know, you'll make him a star and then like uh, that helps everybody else's movie, not yours. You know, I can't get Paul Calderon on uh, the Arsenio Hall show. I can get Sam Jackson on the Arsenio Hall show. And then I said, okay, here's the deal. Here's what I'll do. I will 
erase in my memory Paul's magnificent audition, and I will erase in my memory Sam's inadequate audition, and I'll and we'll spend a, a, a special time on a Saturday, and we'll come in, and I'll give them a couple hours each, and then we'll do it again, and whoever wins that one is who wins. And if it's Paul, it's Paul. And they go, okay, fine, 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 fine. And then uh, Sam won that one. Unbelievable. And Paul, Paul, he gets a look in Pulp. He gets, he gets, oh, a, yeah, he gets, yeah, yeah. He gets some, some good moments, yeah. but yeah. Jesus. He never found the right awesome role. Well, he did it. Well, he did before uh, King of New York. He's the, uh, I mean, since King of New York. No, King of New York's King... actually probably my favorite. Yeah. Well, he, he had a huge, the, a role that everyone, the people in New York all wanted. He, uh, in the movie Q&A, in Sidney Lumet's Q&A. Yeah. Oh, he's the, yeah. uh, he's the, he's the, uh, uh, a transvestite. Yeah. And, and he kind of almost steals the whole second half of the yeah. movie. Yeah. I mean, it, it was one of those coveted roles that everyone and all the New York actors wanted to like get. Like the same year as King yeah, of yeah. New York, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let's talk about Walken. Yeah. I call it a 1990 comeback tour for Walken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have... King of New York, you have Comfort of Strangers. You also have his first SNL appearance. Yeah. Hmm. During one of the great SNL seasons, yes. 1990, mm-hmm. where the show really mattered back then and everybody watched it. And when he came on, I had no idea he could do that. Yeah. And it was like, what the fuck's going on? Christopher Walken's one of the best hosts they've ever had. He's literally, yeah, he's becoming an SNL icon. Yeah. All right. In that one episode. Right. And yeah, it's that's not the one he did Trivial Psychic because he does it two years later, but yeah, he does yeah. the Continental, he does yeah, a couple other right. things. But it was just, and then even trivial psycho. Okay, okay, now now we're looking at past great walk-in performances right, already right. being parodied. Right. Yeah. And but he's to this point before that happens, he's Russian roulette guy and deer hunter. Mm-hmm. He is he's dead, dead zone, dead zone guy, mm-hmm. and he's yeah, and, he was on the Robert Wagner boat, and that was mm-hmm. the three things I knew him for at close range. No, he, so he, he he's done some stuff. No, he did a no, he did he did a lot of stuff, but he didn't quite become the. I'm star. saying like, from heaven. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he did some stuff. No, but I'm saying like. Things that broke through really resonated yeah, yeah, yeah. at close range. Well, no, he, no. He, what happened? No, what happened to him is what happens to a lot of people. Is you know, uh, especially when they win the best supporting actor Oscar, is they have their time where they're now the leading man. They can try their mm-hmm. hand at leading men, and sometimes and the, it, that either breaks for them in a big way. And actually, his movies as leading men were are pretty very very respectable. Dogs of War, Brainstorm, yep. uh, 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 Dead Zone is a classic. Yep. I mean, you know, so I mean that's it's a classic. So I mean that is you know I mean that's a pretty Fantastic little he was run. A, he was the villain in A View to a Kill, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? yeah. But then they kind of segue into superstar character actors. And then I think that's where he was. And then with this, with this, that year you're talking about, then he kind of became like superstar independent leading actor. And then he became, uh, he became an icon all over. This is when the Christopher Walken impersonation started. Right. Was in this period of the 90s. He doesn't lead as many movies as you'd think, though, after this. Mm-hmm. You know, he still he still becomes— Prophecy? Pro- yeah. No, but I mean, but that's a movie, though. Yeah, that's a— sure. yeah, And that's, yeah. like, what, five, yeah. five or six years later. Yeah, but, yeah. like, it's not as many as you would think, because he is a tremendous central figure in this movie. The movie, yeah. in many ways, just does not work without his energy. It's also the most walkin'-y walkin' movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, well, he's yeah. the most walking. But well, you, I, you are you are right, but there also is just the aspect, though, of it's like, uh, for the most part, it's Christopher Walken that's getting these movies made. Sure, yeah, you know. So even if he comes in and and, and does the Nicholson, or comes in and does mm-hmm. the Brando, 
All right. So, uh, so every, you know, right. uh, like the addiction. Okay. You're going to give me the 20 minutes, but it's going to be the 20 minutes that everyone talks about. Mm-hmm. And the entire movie is going to be built around me during those 20 minutes. Yeah. And he does a lot of villain stuff. <laughs> right. You know, he does like Nick of Time and he does Batman Returns and he does all those, mm-hmm. all those movies too. Which... Those ones seem the one like though he's paying the bills yeah. where, yeah, where yeah. the, where the independent ones like that's his heart and soul. Yep. Well, I don't, it's probably not a coincidence. You wrote two awesome scenes for him mm-hmm. in your first two movies. Yeah. Two monologues. Yeah. <laughs> so, are you are you is he in your head as you're writing those? Uh, in those, uh, well, not in uh, well, not in True Romance. I didn't. Uh, uh, you didn't know who that was. Gonna yeah, be. I didn't know who that was going to be. But when I wrote uh, uh, Gold Watts speech, yeah, absolutely, I positively wrote that for Walker. Are you like walking around your bedroom going? He would say it like this and doing walking impersonations to yourself. No, not really. No, I, I, the, the, uh, when people weren't really doing impersonations at that time, so it was more about uh, um, like how he would do it. I wasn't quite nailing. I wasn't trying to nail it to his uh, 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 to his cadence, in so much as I was trying to nail the character's cadence, and just figured Walken would find his own cadence inside of that. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I wasn't writing it for. I was. I was imagining him doing it, and I was trying to write a three page speech that would, in, would tempt him to do it. You know. And the are whole, you positive he's going to do it at that? No, point? No, 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 no. Not at all. I'm not positive. I, my whole thing with him was, it's a three. I know he likes monologue. It's a three-page monologue, and I promise I won't cut a word. He has in that speech the same thing that he has in this movie, which is the most sublime, weird line readings. Mm-hmm. You know? You know how I love money. <laughs> you know, stuff yeah. like that where you hear yeah, yeah, it and yeah, you're yeah. just like, I can't get that out of my head. And it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're all welcome. That that whole thing is one of those. You hear it, yeah. <laughs> and it's inside your body forever. You know, and you feel yeah. you feel yourself saying it out loud for no reason. He, ha- there's very few actors I feel like who actually have that that power. Well, he has. Um, we're gonna do it again when we do the most rewatchable scenes. But he has that one part where he goes. I must have been away too long because my feelings are dead. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the way he delivers that, it's yeah. like, what's happening? He's amazing. <laughs> and he was like, is this guy joking? <laughs> I love money. I love money. <laughs> <laughs> but this, so 1990, it's on. Yeah. And he was one of the mm-hmm. few guys I felt like from that era that the the character of Christopher Walken was part of what you liked about the actor Christopher Walken. It was yeah, almost yeah, hard yeah. to separate yes. these two different things. But this is one of the this Nicholson is one of the, became like that too, you know, over yeah. the course of the eighties. But, but to to the point that Quen's making about like this movie being kind of transgressive, this is like some of the nastiest shit he's ever done. Yeah. You know, he took on like an like an avuncular quality in later years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he is a badass in this movie. He's a mean motherfucker. And there's something about that too that it feels like we're losing that from him. Cause he when he does other villain stuff too, it never feels as like mm-hmm. malevolent in the way that it does in this movie at times. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's just a He's a special dude. So then you tap into you have Fishburne, who does this movie, yeah. then rips off Boys in the Hood, Deep Cover, What's Love Got to Do with It, and Searching Bob Fisher in three years from ninety one to ninety three. Yeah. So I think this movie you could well, say, oh, I look, I got mean, him going. Well, my feeling is it's funny because it's like uh, um, as great as Christopher Walken is in this movie, to me, it's Larry Fishburne's movie. <laughs> as great as Walken is in it. And to me, it was one of the, the bullet that becomes, oh no, it was the rock that becomes a diamond aspect of the movie. Yeah. It, it's why I could, it's why I could defend this movie against all comers because to me, Fish's performance in this movie was comparable to a young Brando. Mm. It was, it, it, it was the most exciting performance by an actor of his generation that I'd seen in a movie of that time. And I thought, well, 
that's it. There is a new Marlon Brando and his name is Larry Fishburne. Uh, uh, it was just, it was amazing. It was mesmerizing. He's also an interesting thing. He is the first hip hop gangster in movie history. That character had never been done before this. He invented that character and he, and he invented it as something to do. It wasn't in the original script. Right. He came up with that himself because it was actually, and we'll talk about it later, but I can go into Don't more. step on that casting. I won't, I won't, I won't. I won't. a classic. Okay, I'll hold on to it. I'll hold on to it. Uh, but, but he's, dre- he, I mean, he's dressed like he's in Run DMC. I mean, he, yeah, is, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. he is affecting mm-hmm. that Queens, Bronx, New York figure who was living in the city at that time making mm-hmm. music. Yeah. So, it, like, it makes yeah. sense. He's pulling from the real world. It absolutely makes sense. But, I mean, it, it was like— uh, uh, after he did the, I mean, I wanted him to play Malcolm X after that. Mm, all right. Yeah. I wanted him to have all the big roles. And it took him, uh, uh, you know, and uh, it took to uh, What's Love Got to Do With It. All right. That he finally really, okay, could get out of the supporting roles and actually, like, you know, uh, compete in the leading man contest between uh, Wesley and uh, uh, Denzel mm-hmm. at that time period. It's a messy movie, but I really like it in Higher Learning, too. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. yeah. he's yeah. really good in that yeah. movie. And it's totally different. Oh, he was true. You know, he was. But he's That's closer to Malcolm. Yeah. That's yeah. as close as he got to Malcolm. But everything he does in this, all right, you know, uh, does during this time period, like uh, right right after King of New York, I watch him in class action, mm-hmm. all right, with Mary Elizabeth Moss Antonio and and uh, and, and uh, Gene Hackman. And you're like, he's fucking killing this, you know, in this like, you know, young lawyer role. <laughs> and it's not like this was like the first thing he did. He's been around for years. Oh, he's yeah. in Apocalypse Now, you know, yeah, he's got, yeah, he's got yeah, 10 yeah. years of work under you his belt. You never considered him for Jules? Yeah, he turned it down. Yeah, he uh, he was offered Amazing. it, and he turned it down. I think it. I think that worked out for the best. Yeah, it worked out for the. But he was no. He was offered jewels, and he turned it down. Why would you turn down jewels? I'll tell you why. You want to know why? I'll tell yeah. you why. All right. Uh, uh, his people suggested he turn it down. It, it all happened. It's an interesting thing. Um, I wrote initially. I wrote Jules and Vincent for Fishburne to be Jules and Michael Madsen to be Vincent, and then we offered it to Fish. He read it, his people read it, and his people suggested that he pass. They said, you got to pass. You got to pass on this one. And the reason they suggested it is they said, okay, here's the deal. You could have done this last year, but the reason you hired us is to make you a leading man, to make you a star. So, yes, you know, uh, if, if this was your searching for Bobby Fisher time, this was your class action time, then you could have done it. But you can't do that anymore. Now it's got to be Larry Fishburne in, ba-da-da-da-da. And you, you got to be above the title. And, 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 you know, and uh, so you're not, you're, he was like, but I, I begin the movie. I end the movie. You're a supporting character. <sighs> and they're casting John Travolta. You're, you're supporting to John Travolta. You're a supporting character. You can't, you, you've got to, part of the thing is you got to say no to supporting roles, no matter how good they are, if you want to be a leading man. All right. Now, actually, their strategy is actually right on. Mm-hmm. If, it, if, if, if you've gotten stuck in the really good supporting character role, and you know, it's hard to turn them down because that's a good director. It's going to be a good movie. You're working off the big stars. They took me lightly. Their strategy was right on. They took me lightly. Now, the, here's the interesting thing. So he turns it down. And talks to me about it, though. And he says, look, I want to do it, all right? But, uh, you know, look, I'm paying these people. So, you know, if I'm paying them, I ought to, I ought to listen to them. You know, they're, they got a strategy. The movie he did instead of Pulp Fiction was— uh, um, Is it Just Cause? 
No, it's not just cause. It's a uh, 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 that would be a supporting role. Actually, it was a uh, uh, the a movie he did with Ellen Barkin. All right. Oh, uh, Bad Company. Bad Company. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. That's the movie he did instead because it was he was starring in it. Yeah. Um, he like, goes into like a little. I like that movie. <laughs> but he goes into like a little bit of a black hole for the next few yeah, years. And then oh, okay, then here's okay. But there's a really one. Oh, I mean, he, he eventually what what he what he passed up with Pulp Fiction. He eventually gets with The Matrix. Yeah, that's where he finally gets it, gets it. But what happened, uh, I mean, it was just the weird turn of events. What ended up happening is, okay, so he turns down Pulp Fiction because it's not a big enough role. He's not the star in it. So Sam Jackson gets the role instead. So Sam Jackson does it. Now, they're going to do Die Hard 3. And they've literally written the role for Larry Fishburne, the black character in it. And well, if he's holding out for the right movie, this is the right movie. It is, he's one of the leads in it. It's him opposite Bruce Willis. It's gonna make $300 million. Yeah, it's 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 a for sure a hit, and not just a hit, a hit that will play all over the world. So the entire world, not just America, the entire world is gonna know who Larry Fishburne is. He will be the guy from Die Hard 3. I love this movie, by the way, but yeah, keep okay. going. So he is that guy. They've written it for him. Not only that, he knows they can't cast anybody else. They're not going to get Denzel, and they're not going to get Wesley. They yeah. need him. They need him for this movie. So he asked for a million dollars. They don't want to pay him a million dollars, but they need him. So they're going back and forth, negotiating, 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 and they have one out. And that is, it's now May. It's Cannes Film Festival. Ooh. And Andy Vanya is going to be in Cannes. And there's this guy named Samuel Jackson, who's apparently really good in Pulp Fiction. Ugh. So they're going to go literally and see the premiere, because they're going to support Bruce anyway. They're going to go and see the premiere of Pulp Fiction. And if they like the Sam Jackson guy, they're going to pull the offer from Larry Fishburne and give it to Sam. And if they don't like the Sam Jackson guy, they'll close the deal with Larry. And the rest is history. Unbelievable. The talk, movie talk he about market corrections. Yes. The Jesus. movie he turned down because the part wasn't big enough. Ugh. It's 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 good that the Matrix happened. Yes. You know, because yeah. you can feel better. I'm not rooting against Larry. Yeah, you, can, you can feel better about what yeah, yeah. happened to his career. And he still got to have yeah. the iconic parts. Yeah. And, you know, but, he's nominated for Oscars and he's done amazingly well in his career. But yeah. that's a brutal one to miss. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Years. Matrix makes up for it a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. man. But it's just, but, but, it, but I think, I mean, but it's also a fantastic Hollywood story about how, like I said, I don't, they were wrong about me. All right. But. His people, their strategy was right on, except not, but you can't, but a strategy, but a, a great strategy doesn't apply to everything. You have to be able to look at, at the things in front of you. But that was the correct strategy to get him out of the superstar character actor quality place, you know? It's so funny, though, because it's not black and white, though. The strategy to say you're either above the title or you're not, I, it doesn't make as much sense. Is is his name above the title in The Matrix? I don't think it is. I don't even think, I honestly don't think well, yeah, people. Yeah, but, but he's, but, you know, he's definitely the second lead. For sure. They but still the second people lead. People don't think this way anymore. I think they, mm-hmm. they're they smart enough now to know it's just good for you to be in a good movie. Mm-hmm. I think the 80s, 90s. I think you're right. Well, you know? I think, I, you know, but, you know, I, I think they're, you know, 
there was an aspect. He was number three amongst the young black leading men, mm-hmm. and 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 something needed to happen. Yeah. And what was happening is he's just you know he was just getting offered. It was like the Bruce Dern thing. He was getting offered all these great, cool supporting characters and good movies with good directors with good actors. It's hard to turn that shit down. Yeah. It makes sense. And you need to be a leading man if you're going to be thought of as a leading man. You need to start leading. Do you know <laughs> how incredible story? You know how you're on Sean's team with the rewatchables and not mine. Oh, oh yeah. Uh huh. Guess who wanted to do Searching for Bobby Fischer for Rewatchables and nobody else was with me? Uh-huh. This guy. Right uh-huh. yeah. Just so you know. I'm not, I'm not against it. <laughs> no, you laughed. Well, I just don't think it holds the place. Like the movie like King of New York holds a much bigger Joe place Monta- in my it's mind. It's great Joe Montana. Yeah? Sure. Well, it's, okay. My son is better at this <laughs> than anything you've ever been at in your whole life. He's not afraid of losing. He's afraid See, of he's losing a, your love. It's a great movie. You guys are just doing the trailer. It's I remember movie. both of those lines oh, no, from the trailer. I'm not doing, I'm, I'm, I, I mean movie. that mockingly. Right. <laughs> I, stand by, I stand by Bobby Fischer. You guys can't waver me off. It's fine. Hey, it's let, fine. Me, uh, let me. I, I need to do a bit of a history about my history with uh, uh, Abel Farrar before we go uh, into. I uh, had him uh, coming up. Okay, great. I just want to do Snipes really quick. Okay, sure. Snipes, post-major league, makes yeah. it in 1989. Snipes from 90 to 92. King of New York, Mo Better Blues, New Jack City, Jungle Fever, Water Dance, White Man Can't Jump, Passenger 57. In three years. Yeah, always been on that, black. That, yeah. Epic. Yeah. What are we doing what water dance? Run. When's the water dance rewatchable? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a tough one. <laughs> that's, 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 that's hard a enough to like movie. Hard enough to watch the first time. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> the but, watchable. But, yeah, the, the one watchable. The unwatchable uh, water we, dance. We, we have discussed unwatchables in the past. <laughs> the but watchable. We should, I'm going to step on casting what if so because this is a really crazy. <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne is cast as Flanagan, mm-hmm. the part that Snipes plays. And then James Russo. Oh, I know the whole story behind him. Yeah. One of our favorite rewatchables actors because yes. we Beverly Hills so Cop fascinated icon. by his Beverly Hills Cop performance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Turns down the part of Jimmy Jump. Fishburne switches roles mm-hmm. and then begs the director. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He didn't beg the director. Caruso is doing a TV pilot mm-hmm. with Wesley Snipes. And he and Snipes are tight. Yeah, and oh, he's yeah. like, this guy's great. Begs the director to give him the old Fishburne part. Yeah. And that's how Wesley Snipes ends up in this, who mm-hmm. then ends up having mm-hmm. the biggest career out of any black star for the next five years. Yeah. And they become and they become Howdy Doody and the Chocolate Wonder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. So let's also talk. black guy named Flanagan. Incredible shit. Yeah. What's weird is hey, do you want me to go, but you want me to go into the the James Russo story now? Yeah, Since let's do it, it now. Yeah. I just want to say with Snipes, like it's it's kind of like not a great Snipes. It's it's like Snipes. It's Diet Coke Snipes. That performance until the end. Then mm-hmm. Snipes comes out. Uh-huh. But for the first parts of it, Caruso is kind of the much bigger part. Oh, but, well, but eventually, but, but, but Caruso should out. be the much bigger. No, part. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was just weird seeing Snipes in that role because mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it's, it's a good simmering thing that he's doing though. He, no, get, I, you know, I, he gets there. No, I like that. I like that it's him. He doesn't have to, you know, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't have to steal scenes or or, yeah, yeah. or, or, or play Nico Brown. Yeah. All right, but uh, uh, but I like that it's him. And I like his white wife. All right, I, I like yeah. all the. I like. I, I like the. Yeah. yeah, I. I. I like the whole uh, social fabric of him with all these white boys. You know, and that's his life. It's the inversion. It's purposefully <laughs> yeah. the inversion of everything going on with Watkins' character. You know, right. the one white guy with the whole black gang, and then the one black cop with mm-hmm. all of the white cops. I, mm-hmm. I guess Victor Argo is not white, but you know, you know, you know my point. Like that seems that seems all purposeful. That also fits yeah, yeah. together. It was on the rewatch. It took me a while to get used to 
Because usually I'm used to him stealing scenes yeah. and being huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's just like setting picks. Yeah. And then it's like, is Snipes going to come out? It's like, oh, yeah, this is when he came out. I remember. Yeah. Uh, all right, yeah. let's talk about uh, your guy. Yeah, so what happened was it's uh, – um, so James Russo kind of had his time. Like a lot of these like New York act and New York intense actors come out. They do a couple of the really uh, uh, cool roles in some – big films and like maybe maybe they're going to be the next De Niro guy and then they find their 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 niche and Russo had really hooked up big time by that point with Abel Ferrar and he had starred in the movie that's the closest thing to a precursor to King of New York is China Girl uh, by Abel Ferrar which is really good uh it's actually much better now than I remember it being when I saw it when it first came out um, and he's the, he was the star of that. And then later, uh, when, when they, he, when they do dangerous game, Russo's going to be in that with him and Cattell. Um, but, uh, uh, Russo was, was now, uh, a, a part of the, a part of Abel's gang. Uh, he's one of Abel's lead guys now. So Ferrar's going back and forth on who's going to play Frank White, but he writes, uh, Jim for James Russo and he writes the cop. Uh, Howdy Doody for uh, uh, David Caruso. Now, both Caruso and Russo work together in China Girl. And part of the thing is they're both actors, you know, fully, you know, full of gauge and uh, totally fucking intense. Tough guy in New York. Yeah. They want to steal the scenes from each other. They both think they're better than the other one. All right, they're uh, and uh, so they have a complete antagonism during a China Girl that is both in the scenes and even though they're supposed to be playing his best buddy and off stage. All right, they just want to beat the other one. Wait, you mean Caruso is difficult? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of that with him. He's competitive. Yeah. And so, and Abel is like, oh, I love that antagonism. So he gives the kind of role that they can be antagonistic with each other, and now we can really, really run with this. Russo reads the script, turns it down flat. Boom. Abel calls him up. Why? I'm not going to let David Caruso spit in my face. Remember the scene where yeah. he's... Oh, yeah. Of course. When he spits in uh, Fish's face. That was in the script. And he goes, I'm not going to let that redheaded cocksucker spit in my face. <laughs> Fuck that shit. No way. Jose. All right, and it's uh, like, what about a stunt spit? <laughs> not, I will, I, I will let Walken spit in my face. Yeah, I will. I went, but I will never, in this lifetime, will I ever let that Irish prick spit in my fucking face. Wow, fuck that guy. <laughs> And Cruz was like, fine, get the fuck out of here. I can't stand your ass anyway. Now they're actually, now they're all friends and actually in on uh, my CSI Miami, uh, Russo actually had this recurring character that he yeah, played like, oh the, like the big mob guy that like that Horatio could never like, you know, take right. down. All right. Uh, but that's why he said, and this is straight from Russo's mouth because Russo's in uh, 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 Django mm-hmm. and he's one of the brothers at the beginning. And he told me though, I go, I cannot believe you turned Jimmy Jim down. You oh know, God. and he goes, yeah, I was a fucking idiot. And it, uh, well, what's the story? Okay, here's the story. I go, oh my God, you are a fucking idiot. He well, goes, yeah, yeah, I know. I know I'm a fucking idiot. Especially because Fishburne gets 
they, he spits in his face, mm-hmm. but then you know he kind of pulls it down and he licks it. Uh, and oh, he, he's like, great he, in he, that. He, Give me some. Yeah, he, like, <laughs> he makes a moment out of it. You know, it's like it's Fishburne wins that scene. Caruso doesn't win that scene. I don't. That's God. that's crazy. Also, I I think Jimmy jumping white would have been would have been all wrong. No, I, no, no, I, I, I no, lo- no. I I look, it. Ultimately, it's like the best thing that could ever happen for the movie happened because it was, you know, it was the casting of, uh, uh, I don't think I'm talking completely out of school here. It was the casting of Fish that all of a sudden then they got the idea, all right, to just pepper Frank's army, right. all right, with more black guys and more black guys and more black gals. And now all of a sudden Frank White is sort of like uh, Crazy Joe. Yeah. All right. A yeah. little bit. A little bit. Of, uh, uh, a parallel to the Crazy Joe character. From that was the, the big criticism against the movie, though, is mm-hmm. a white guy running an army of black guys, which was what it got nicked for. Yeah. Not by the. <laughs> not, not by the black people who love it. Yeah. I know. We're, that's, we're, a, that's what made it their movie. All know, right. That, that's the that's irony this is of Scarface it. fucking part two. Yeah. You had a bunch of <laughs> white critics being enraged yeah. by it. Meanwhile, yeah. it became like one of the big ones. Oh but my. Fa- yeah, my favorite critics. The white critics who are enraging about black shit. And that's. But that is how I was a kid. I was a kid when this movie came out, and the reason I know about this movie is the way that a lot of people my age know about this movie is because of Biggie Smalls. Mm-hmm. Biggie Smalls calling himself the Black Frank White and trying yeah, to figure yeah. out what does that mean. Yeah, what does the Black Frank White? Mean? Imagine it being 1993 and hearing someone say that mm-hmm. who you idolize. I idolize Biggie. Yeah, yeah and I was yeah. like, what is that? And then it forces you to track it down. And then I think you were talking about it in interviews at the yeah, time. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, What is this? mystical movie <laughs> that is inspiring all these people who I make great think shit. You could make the yeah, case. Yeah, like on the box here. That's Teresa Randall from Girl 6. Yep. Right. <laughs> you could make a case that's one of the greatest belated marketing pushes of all time. Yeah. When Biggie got behind, when he started yeah, yeah, calling yeah. himself Frank mm-hmm. White. Mm-hmm. And it was like a lot of people like you like, wait, why is he doing that? It was so What's effective. This? There's no internet back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. There's no way to find out. Caruso really quick. I was with him since he was an officer and a gentleman, but then Thief of Hearts, which isn't even ever on cable, yeah, yeah, Stephen uh-huh. Bauer. Uh-huh. Do you ever, you know about Never that movie? Is? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? They, they burglarize this lady's house. Mm-hmm. Stephen Bauer and David Cruz are thieves. And they find the di- her diary. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Bauer kind of digs her. And he's reading the diary, all her fantasies. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm just going to pretend to be the guy that's in her fantasy. Mm-hmm. And then they fall in love, and Caruso's the guy is like, "You're in too deep." Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but just is dialed up the Confessions whole time. Confessions of a cat burglar. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then, really, until NYPD Blue, I don't feel like he became famous. I think he was like cool no, he was, movie famous, but yeah, not famous famous. Yeah, but I actually think there's a reason for that because the thing about it is, uh, you know, first, I mean, when he first started really coming out, was he had kind of had a recurring character on uh, uh, Hill Street Blues. He was mm-hmm. like the, yeah. the, the the white gang leader, all right, with Trinidad Silva as the mm-hmm. Puerto Rican guy. The Shamrocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the Shamrocks, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, then he started, you know, and then he was like, you know, everyone's a wormy best friend. Yeah, the, the 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 vaguely handsome guy, all right, who's right. on the wrong side of the tracks, his way over the over the over the line best friend. They had the Norton rolls, all right. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know that that was kind of his stock and trade. And he had actually had had his um, his biggest movie to date just before this, which was uh, Mad Dogs and Glory. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. And but now here's a weird thing about it though. It, and he's good in that movie. Yeah, he's he's good in it. But here's my here's my weird thing about Caruso about during this time period. I was never into him back then. I didn't like his. I mean, I, I didn't like that 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 best friend character of the shady yeah. guy. All right, who's like the shadier one. I uh, uh, and I, I wasn't really down with all his pushing and all his I'm so intense mannerisms. And I wasn't down with the red hair. I wasn't down with fucking anything about that dude. All right, and I was like, this guy is just totally not as good as he thinks he is. Yeah. All right. Now, 
in King of New York was the first time that I was like, oh, okay, well, he's pretty good for this character. He's doing, right. a, good, he's doing a good job in this. I, I actually think he's, I think he's one of those guys who's less than he thinks he is, in the, and, the, and apparently the industry does. But in this character, he was pretty good. Then I started seeing a few episodes of NYPD Blue in that first season. Yeah. And David Caruso was so great on that show. The first eight episodes are unassailable. That that character he played, the fact that the show was actually a good show, it fit in the whole 70s cop vibe, the fact that they built the entire show around his character, it was like, oh, wow, you did everything in your career to actually land with the perfect character that makes you an actor that you cannot take your eyes off. Did anyone ever look at Dennis Franz once during a single episode in that first eight first no. eight episodes? You couldn't. You couldn't my, watch anybody on that show. My except- dad, Fred Lynn leaving the Red Sox mm-hmm. and Caruso deciding to leave NYPD Blue are like my dad's two biggest. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck did he do that tragedies? Well, he it, was so good that first season. There was nothing like it. it I mean, it, well, the thing about it was because the marriage of him as an actor and that character was just so effing right on. Yeah, John Kelly. It seemed ungrateful to the point of being a just absolute ingrate Yeah, to actually walk away from the character. Yeah, one of the f- five greatest parts of that decade. But oh, I yeah. think it's come all the way back around again mm-hmm. that it has now like verified his uh-huh. legacy. Oh, like yeah. he fucked it up or whatever, but then he gets to do CSI Miami mm-hmm. and he gets to make all the money in the world. Yeah, but- he gets to put glasses on. He gets to say quippy lines yes. and take his glasses off yes. as emphasis. But that move. <laughs> also, let me just say. And proof of life. That's that's for you. We didn't invite you on that one. You no, know, I was not invited to that episode. Incredible uh, Caruso. Here's the thing. Uh, as you probably, well, both of you guys know, I am the son of an Irish cop. I come from a long line of Irish cops. The speech he gives in King of New York, the, the wedding toast, oh, yeah. oh, is my the God. most Irish cop moment in the history of movies. <laughs> I believe that. That is a real, that You're Abel's, stepping on most, re, most rewatchable I'm sorry. scenes. St. John's script and whatever Abel did, it's fucking unreal. I feel like I knew 20 of those <laughs> but guys you left, growing you up. you left out the part the next scene he's trying to make out with yeah, the bride. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit. But that's a bit that, 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 that those guys look for. My wife! <laughs> I love that Relax, so much. Relax, we're just fucking around. <laughs> Do you, did, did you like him in Kiss of Death? The test came back negative. Yes, I did. I did like him in I'm Kiss I'm a huge death. Kiss of Death guy. Yeah, he's good. I just death. love Caruso. I, I, he's great. I just think he's I'm a perfect cop. Caruso. He's such a perfect cop. And that was part of why he didn't play a lot of cops in those early roles that you're talking yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah, he's yeah. kind of playing a tough guy or bad guy a lot mm-hmm. of the time. And he's he was perfect as like a shitty asshole detective. Yeah. So <laughs> shitty asshole detective. All right, we gotta talk. We gotta get to get the categories, but I want to talk about the director. Yeah, yeah. So he says, I was going through some stuff that was written about him, interviews he gave, and he had one thing that I thought was fascinating. He said, in 1990, my films explore the dark side of people. I'm fascinated by the conflict between good and evil. That's what every great story ultimately comes down to. Mm-hmm. He's not wrong. No, not at all. He also said in the movie, I made Scarface look like Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> he was very, mm-hmm. very kind of confident, braggy a little bit mm-hmm. about what he was trying to do with this movie and how fired up he was that he mm-hmm. pushed every limit. He didn't care if people didn't like it. Now he's he like, did, fuck yeah. you. I'm doing my movie. I want it. I'm so happy I did it. Well, he uh, look, here's 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 my little Abel Ferrar story, because the thing is, um, 
part of the thing of uh, being in the late 70s and, and uh, really loving exploitation movies and going uh, to see them, part of the ritual of that was you were going to see a lot of crappy-ass movies. That was just – that was that – was, that was that was the deal you were making. You were yeah. going to do with that, all right? And uh, and and you were okay with it. And you're like, well, well, at least I saw it. And you exit off your little list. You sound like Sean. <laughs> it's true. But part of the reason that you ponied up to see these movies that you knew most of the time you're going to be disappointed is that maybe three times a year that would not be the case. Yeah. And one, one or, you know, three of them would be a little better than you expected them, them to be. And because they were better than you expected them to be, then they seemed actually more great. They were like, wow, you were really kind of taken with them. And then part of the thing about that is you'd find that director from that work and like, wow, now that director, you know that guy's name. You leave the theater knowing his name. And then you made a... a, a, a made a point that I'm going to follow them and I'm going to see their other films. So, you know, I went and saw Rabid by David Cronenberg, not knowing jack shit about him or the movie. And I'm like, what the fuck is this crazy ass thing? This was amazing. So as soon as The Brood opened, I couldn't wait to see it because that's the guy who did Rabid. And then, then I saw what I saw. Holy shit. All right. So she by the time. dress, mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So by the time everyone else is discovering him in America with scanners, I already, I, I done known who he is. Yeah. All right. Same thing. I saw Deep Red. All right. When it came out. And so I learned who Dario Argento is. And so I'm not surprised when Suspiria comes out. I'm there right away because that's the guy who did Deep Red. Uh, so in 78, I see uh, 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 Piranha. All right, and I walk out knowing Joe Dante's name, and so I'm not surprised when when the Howling comes out. I can't wait. I'm waiting. I'm reading about him in Fangoria now. After that, same with Louis Teague with Lady in Red. Now I can't wait for Alligator, and so uh, Stuart Gordon. Same thing with Reanimator. So now the thing is, you've had that moment with them in these films, and then you go and you're looking for that second film or that third film to to see if they can confirm it. And the, and the truth of the matter is, most of them don't follow it up. Not the way you really want them to. Toby Hooper never quite follows it up, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Seward Gord never quite followed up. I mean, there are some fun movies, but he doesn't top or match Reanimator. And so one of, the, of all those exploitation movies that just blew your socks off was Miss 45. You know, and it had the fantastic Kevin Thomas review in the LA Times, and you went and saw it, and it was just like, wow, this guy is fucking amazing. This guy could be like a new, a new another Scorsese. That's yeah. what you're thinking about. That's what you're absolutely thinking. And, um, you know, and there was two guys fighting for that new Scorsese title. There was him and James Toback. Mm-hmm. They're kind of out there doing their own thing. And so I'm following Abel now. So, uh, so he does his second film, uh, his first like more of, of like official movie movie, which was uh, Fear City. And that's, uh, you, you can tell us Abel Ferrar did it, but it's, it's not as good as Miss 45. Yeah. It doesn't take it all the way. All right. And then he starts doing Miami Vices. And then he starts doing crime stories. And his Miami Vices are fantastic. And his crime stories are fantastic. Yes. He did the first season of Miami Vice. Yeah, yeah. And he, I, I, his, like, they're home invasions and it's just yeah, like it's fucking wild ass violent shit. All right. It's a famous one. Uh, and, and he does a really good TV movie around this time. And I'm watching anything he does. He does a really good TV movie with Ken Wall called uh, um, 
Gladiator. Yeah, the Gladiator. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah, Robert Culp is in it. Yeah. Nancy Allen's in it. You can it watch too. it on Amazon Prime Wait. right now. Yeah, the Gladiator is cool. Well, what's the plot of that movie? It's like a guy's. Uh, is his brother who's killed? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. His brother's killed, and he's like seeking revenge. Oh, I like that movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, his brother was killed in a hit and run, and, and, and now he's yeah. going to go and get guys who do hit yeah, and run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. And uh, um, so I'm following. Uh, so I'm following his stuff, but never quite. I'm still waiting for that one that that takes takes me further than Miss Forty Five, and then the closest thing he does is China Girl, which is. Definitely like the classiest thing he's done. And it's also written by Marco St. John. All right. And that's the, that, that's an important part of this equation. Mm-hmm. His writing partner, Marco St. John. All right. Um, and it's classy. It's got terrific actors. He has a visual sense that it's, 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 uh, he's, he's not hampered like he was in his earlier films. But it doesn't take you further. It's still it's still in second gear. Now, actually, it's it was more in third gear than I gave it credit for when I watched it again recently. But it, I still thought he has somewhere to go. And I know the King of New York, even before this comes out, because he's talking about it in interviews a lot, that this is his magnum opus. This is the one that for years he's been trying to get made. When when people see this shit, this is gonna be it. And now now it's the time. And now it comes out. And from the opening 20 minutes, the whole explosion of style that happens from the cutting back and forth and the set pieces of all this, of the opening 20 minutes of the film is just, oh my God, this is the able, this is what I was waiting for. This was worth waiting six years for. This is, yeah, I, I can't even imagine him ever topping this movie. This is the movie that he's waited his whole career to make. And it's even interesting because he wasn't Scorsese. You realize when you watch King of New York, it wasn't, he wasn't going after that vibe. One, he's closer to Leone mm-hmm. than he is Scorsese. All right. There is this whole set piece mm. quality about the way the characters are set up and the set pieces. You know, the, the guy gets executed in the in the in the phone booth. That's almost a Leone piece of him like, you know, touching the ass of every prostitute in the brothel on the way out with the champagne bottle mm-hmm. and stuff. That's the way Leone would set up a character, you know, some duster dude showing up in town before he gets whacked. Um but one of the things that um, is so exciting is, well, yes, he's definitely influenced by the Scorsese New York style and the Scorsese use of actors and this and that, that genre of cinema in particular. He's just as much influenced by Freakin's New York cop mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. All right. Both, uh, 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 both the New York, se- both the New York section of Sorcerer and including the, even the guys from the guy from Sorcerer. All right. Uh, playing the, the, the daughter's father mm-hmm. in the, the wedding and then, uh, and like rush connection and stuff. But if there's one director that you can tell that he's even more connected to, it's Michael Cimino. And you can tell that there is a, uh, you know, there's a deep, deep connection to year of the dragon in this movie. I mean, he has some of the same characters from Year of the Dragon. Uh, Joey Chen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is from Year of the Dragon and China Girl. Yep. Ariane, all right, who is, uh, you know, who ruins Enter the Dragon, is at, uh, Year of the Dragon, is terrific in her scene in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, in the restaurant. Yep. You want her, not Janet Julian, to be uh, the girl that Frank 
leaves her with. Yes, yes. What are you going to do now that you're out of prison? That whole scene. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she ruins You're the Dragon, and she's terrific in her scene. Yep. Yeah, but he gives her the close-up. He knows she's the girl from You're the Dragon. Yep. But even the whole New York thing, okay, now Pete Hamill is there. Love I that. mean, it's a New York that doesn't even exist anymore. I know. I All right, that. you know, the famous columnist is there with the gangsters talking, and the gangsters fucking, you know, <laughs> s- signalieri. <laughs> I, have some, I have some unanswerable questions about that scene in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, what you were describing about liking a director and seeing potential Mm -hmm. and then kind of sticking, buying season tickets for the person, basically. Yeah, right on. That was a very pre-internet thing Mm -hmm. because I think the internet's done a lot of great things, obviously a lot of great things for me and us, but there's a consensus that forms and checks and balances where it's like, should I see this movie? And you end up Googling online, you Mm -hmm. look at Rotten Tomatoes, you read different reviews. In we the, don't look at Rotten Tomatoes, Bill. You know, well, we I'm saying people do. I, I personally know. <laughs> but in the 70s you go to and 80s, you trust. in the 70s yeah. and 80s, you might have trusted one writer. Mm-hmm. You might have trusted your one buddy who mm-hmm. went to all these movies. Like you didn't really have a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And there was way more rolling of the dice back then than mm-hmm. I feel like there probably is now. There and was, I remember going back to the Nickelodeon theater. Yeah. I would just go see these movies. I would have no idea if they were good or not. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, well, one of the things I mean was that's really bizarre, and this was this way for like a long time into the 90s was, okay, now the horror film community is just completely linked online and they have tons of websites and they can all just talk about what they want to talk about. Uh, And you know where they're coming from. But in the 80s and 90s, what it was, was Fangoria would have a a piece on a movie and it was always a public relations kind of piece, you know? So so they're never going to be critical about the movie per se. There's always a set visit and they talk about John Frankenheimer's prophecy and all the bear looks really great. You could at least find out about the movie though. But then when the movie opened theatrically, when that film finally played theatrically, what you did is you read the next issue of Fangoria after it played and you read the, 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 uh, the letter section. Yeah, And yeah. That, that was when you knew what the horror fans thought of any horror film. Yep. It was in the letter section the month after it filmed the, uh, a horror film had played theatrically. Well, I remember Goldman's, <laughs> Goldman's column that was in New York Magazine. Mm-hmm. That was like one of the only people I trusted. Mm-hmm. And when he would tell me like, this movie, I hear this is going to be good or that, or I love this, I'd be like, okay. Mm-hmm. Good. And I just didn't have a lot of people like that I, in my I life. I just had a different experience because I'm just younger than you guys. So I had the early stages of the internet and I had message boards and forums and I was mm-hmm. on those things like a fucking animal. And it was yeah. it was rap and movies. Those were the two things mm-hmm. that there was no, no, not a – you had to go find the conversation in person. Mm-hmm. You didn't trust a lot of the criticism. And a lot of the movies that I liked and I'm watching Argento movies at 14 years old and I'm like, I think I'm the only person in the universe that is watching this movie. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I don't know anyone who wants to watch Deep Red with me yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, 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 yeah. And – that is that can be really isolating, and then the internet comes along, especially like ninety six, ninety seven, mm-hmm. and all these forums start popping up, and that's where you start. If you get a chance to see King yeah. of New York, you're like, oh, what is Miss Forty Five? How do I see the Driller Killer? How do I find these yeah. movies that are hard to find? It's really hard to find Miss Forty. They don't mm-hmm. put that in Blockbuster, you know. No. Like you have to go to a, a a more illicit place to get those things mm-hmm. too. King of New York feels like the first time that he reaches like a little bit of a commercial yeah. sort of moment, though. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I mean, actually, you could find China Girl because that was actually Vestron. Right, right. <laughs> but, but but your point is still well so taken. What you were saying though about finding him it was like Bombback was like that for me because I saw that movie, didn't know if it was going to be good. Mm-hmm. Heard heard a couple good things mm-hmm. and saw Kicking and Screaming, and it was like the perfect. That was the exact same yeah, yeah, age yeah, as yeah. the characters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm just like I'm in on this guy for life. Whatever he's making, I'm seeing, mm-hmm. and that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know 
Maybe it's like that now, but I do think the consensus makes it a little different. Well, I mean, I'm kind of that's, uh, but I mean, but like your your point is actually still well taken because I'm kind of that way now with Mike Flanagan. All right, I'm mm-hmm. searching out yeah. his stuff and everything, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I thought I, I watched the whole all the episodes of uh, House on Haunted Hill. I, I think it's a masterpiece series. I think it's terrific. I agree with you though. He's not made a movie from beginning to end yet. All I, right, I, but but. But it, but I'm actually but that's something to look forward to. I'm actually really. He's, young, uh, he's like in his thirties. Yeah, he's gonna get one. He's gonna get yeah. one. I, I would mean, like to. Take a I mean, doc, to me, Doctor Sleep movies. came really, really, really close. It came really, really, really third close. Act. I don't. You know. I I don't mind the third act. Yeah. I I don't I I don't like the last sliver of the third act. Yeah. But then the epilogue. Writes the shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's really good. He's but he's like a, he's a season tickets guy. He's yeah, yeah, a guy yeah. who Chris Ryan was like, you got to watch Flanagan's movies. Mm-hmm. And now I have watched everything he's done, and I'm I'm interested in anything he's going to do. And that's still I still think we have that. I still yeah. think we have. Some I still haven't seen a, a, a Ouija two, which actually looks terrific. Really good. The trailer for really it good. like look looked like it'll be the best. Might one. be his best movie. Yeah. Okay. You saw Ouija two, of course, on Chris's recommendation. That was how I got into it. Oh, um, Ferrara said about this movie. Um, we only murder every motherfucker in that movie because when I made that film, that's how I felt. I love it when they say, can't you make King of New York too? And I say, well, the only person that's left is a 75-year-old lawyer. Every other person in that movie is dead. <laughs> every single human being in that film is dead. <laughs> He's very proud of this. Um, Pete Hamill is still alive. Pete, Hamill's, Pete, Hamill's, Pete yeah. Hamill is still kicking. And the lawyer is actually everyone's lo- real lawyer, Jay yes, Julian, yes. all right? <laughs> um, There's some good stories about him with this, too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we mentioned the Frank Wright thing. Frank Wright thing, belatedly, it took off. But mm-hmm. when the movie came out, not as popular. Ebert, two two out of four stars. He said, it's Walken's tough. Tough usual polished and somehow sinister ease. He complimented that. But then he said, uh, Ferrara's effects are too good. His command of mood is too sure for him to continue trying to bluff his way through half-written movies like this one. All it did was wet my appetite. No. It's tough. This is the, but that's what you were saying. It's mm-hmm. like People were critical yeah. of the plots of his movies a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. They feel like there was the story wasn't right for them, so they didn't like it. They weren't responding to like mm-hmm. the gates slowly closing on Sing Sing at the beginning of the movie, where yeah. he's like, "Holy shit!" Mm-hmm. I never saw anything like that in a movie. But yeah, yeah I mean, I had the, the feeling that I, the anxiety that I had watching King in New York, knowing that, oh wow, I'm, yeah. I, I'm feeling like Salieri. All right, I, I'm sitting in the opera box crying. All right, knowing that this fucking asshole theater does not appreciate what, what, is, right. what is in front of them. And I'm going to have to get into, I'm going to have to really get into it with motherfuckers. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, I hadn't had that feeling because I was watching it again, reminded me of that feeling. And I hadn't had that feeling again until seeing, being part of the jury, seeing old boy, a con mm. imagining that we're going to have to fight about this in the jury room. And then actually when everyone loved it, so there wasn't a fight. But I thought, we were all thought that we were going to be having to get into a bloody fight with each other about the greatness of Old Boy. So I think that makes a great point about this movie too, which is that at the time, maybe people felt like it was shocking and they were clutching their pearls. But over Mm -hmm. time, we've gotten more comfortable with stuff like this. The fact that Old Boy is like beloved and is like not even a cult hit. It's like a movie that moms have seen and they're like, that was cool. It just means like our cultures has changed. Well, when we did the Reservoir we were like literally, one of the best scenes is the brother-sister sex scene. Yes. Like absolutely rewatchable. Absolutely rewatchable. We did the, we did the Reservoir Dogs rewatchables and I didn't realize in the research, like 
just how big the ear cutting thing was during when the movie was coming out. Oh fuck yeah! I mean, it, man. like it basically dominated all the reviews and the discourse about it was like, why did he do this? No, no, it was literally. Uh, we had a we got a lot of good reviews, but the good reviews almost meant nothing as far as luring people into the theater, because in order for them to even write a review, there had to be a surgeon general warning. All right, right. that every single. Every single review had this Surgeon General warning that, like, unless you like to watch dismemberment and yeah. horrible, pitiless sadism, then this might not be the movie for you. And then they would go and talk about what we were going to say. Well, okay, what you just described, nobody likes that. Right. <laughs> nobody wants to buy a ticket for that, but I don't think that's how you would describe my movie. No, definitely not. <laughs> but that was how it was described, yeah. even in the people who liked it. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think the budget of King of New York was? I'm going to guess. 1990. Okay, 1990. I'm going to guess uh, $4 million. 5.3. Oh, wow. And- uh, You know who paid for that, right? Who? You know, you know the who chipped in money on this one. Who did? Courtesy of Jay Julian, Silvio Berlusconi. Oh. Mm. Well, and to, the King of New York video, which gave it new life, and mm -hmm, yeah. that's when it became kind of iconic. Um yeah, Ronald Wallace was, uh, you know, had the, uh, she pulled the trigger on it. She was the, uh, she pulled trigger on, uh, um, she ran live and she had the power of the pen at live. Um, if, if you, if you made a movie, I think five million and under, she could, uh, 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 she had to go to, to give it an okay. And what live was, live was the video arm of Caracol. And so Live released all the Caracos films on video, and they had a little spending cash to make movies straight for them. And so she made Reservoir Dogs at Live. She made King of New York at Live. She made uh, Bob Roberts at Live. Mm -hmm. And she made uh, uh, Bad Lieutenant at Live. Great movies. All of those yeah. movies are great movies. You were just talking to Robbins about uh, Bob Roberts. Yeah, he's he's bitter it's not on TV. Mm. He thinks especially— Now would I be— just a did a podcast with him. He's like— this is the perfect time to be it's running Bob Roberts on like AMC. I know. Especially the, that opening theme song. And they complain and complain. And complain. <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> let's do most rewatchable scene. Hey, with the new year officially here and everyone vowing to restrictive resolutions, Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging everyone to uh, unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. So Pepsi encourages you to let loose, be yourself, and live your life like nobody's watching. For instance, maybe you have an opinion that, you know, isn't that popular. Here's one of mine. We had the Oscar nominations come out this week. Joker got 11. Didn't love Joker. Not a huge fan. Thought Joaquin Phoenix was incredible in it. It's a movie I would never watch again. If you gave me the choice, would you like those two hours of my life back? I'd probably consider it. That's not a very popular opinion, but you know what? It's an opinion that's true to me. Pepsi. That's what I like. It's up to you. Do you want to include the phone booth at the very beginning or no? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, so we'll include that. God, yeah. yes. how, do, how, do you, how do you... God, do you, how do you even break well, up the opening... 30 minutes. Well, that's, <laughs> I, that's, I think the whole, I the trouble. minute he gets out of the cell and he starts walking down the alleyway and yeah. we get into credits mode, that's, that's when it starts. And we don't, we're not going to do every single moment of the movie. But I had that trouble because I didn't want to have iconic. 12 scenes. Yeah, but okay, right. but here's, I even like walking in the, just in the limo. <laughs> yeah. Like just yeah. I mean, the reason, the reason I would, the reason I would, the reason I would put 
the Benny guy, all right, getting blown away, uh, walking through the uh, w- walking through the uh, a brothel and getting executed in the in the phone booth. The reason I would make that a separate thing on its own is I think that announces the style. Mm-hmm. That yeah. set piece of that character announces the style that we're going to be watching for the rest of the film. Fishburne's first scene. Oh, Fishburne and Basami, absolutely. Might actually test tube. Love test tube. That scene. Fucking relax. Boom. It's going to take a few minutes, all right? We ain't got a few minutes, man. We got to get busy. Why don't you do what you got to do so we can get busy, all right? favor, all right, here. Calm down, all right? Relax. Yo, I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to show you how to test this, man. Like that. The shittiest and funniest little dab of cocaine in the history of movies ever hit a table. All right. It's fucking Buscemi's boom. (laughs) Yo, man, you ever got the feeling you was being watched? (laughs) The way he delivers that. Yo, man, you ever get the feeling you was being watched? When he starts talking about basketball. Yo, you yeah. play ball, Tito? Yeah, yeah, you play ball, Tito. That's okay. Then for a quotable line. Suitcase. I fucked up my leg playing ball. <laughs> Suitcase of Tampax. Uh, it's amazing. For the bullet, the bullet holes. holes the then the other guy. Room service, motherfucker. Oh, that is great. And by the way, that guy, is, that's Leonard. That for years, that was Sam Jackson's uh, stand-in. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Leonard. Um, next one. So the Walker Fishburns crew reunion, which we mm. talked about a little at the top when Walken does that. I feel no remorse. It's a terrible thing. <laughs> that the, whole the dance. dance. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, you don't know God. if they're about to fight and yeah, then it turns out they're all buddies. What do you got in there? Root beer? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, really great. Well, I must have been away too long because my feelings are dead. <laughs> I, I feel no remorse. Yo. It's a terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every beat in jail makes you feel like that, man. The dance is just like a iconic another like much like the line reading. So I'm like I can't not see him swiveling. You yeah, know? it's like somewhere yeah. between Fred Astaire and Elvis. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Walking, going to see Artie White playing one hand of blackjack with him, and then shooting him eight times. Yeah, I have that yeah. as a rewatchable scene. Very good. From here on, nothing goes down unless I'm involved. No blackjack, no dope deals, no nothing. A nickel bag gets sold in the park. I want in. You guys got fat while everybody starved on the street. It's my turn. Hmm. You think you're going to live long enough to spend that money, you fucking hump? The only thing that could beat Artie White pissing on Calderon's right. shoes, right. all right, is the second round of shots after he's dead. He's, right. yeah. <laughs> this prick, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> he shoots him three separate times, eight times total. Um, the fried chicken arrest scene. Yo, what's happening with the food, man? What's up? I got all day, man. going to be 56.70 total. Did I say I was finished? I want something to drink. Maybe I want some birch beer. You got birch beer? No, we don't have no birch beer. I don't even know what that shit is. You got any root beer? Nah, we ain't got no root beer. Yeah, well, how much is this? 56.90. 56.90? Fuck you very much. Hey, scumbag. Guess what? You're on the road. Oh, yes. You're on the road. It's, yeah, it, it, I think, I think it's, it's, it's one of, uh, 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 it's the three big Fishburn moments. To me, is his opening sequence with yeah. the, the black uh, the you play ball Tito? Yeah, yeah, that yeah Tito Tito. That's Tito. It, yeah, yeah, yeah with Tito, black glove dude. All right, and uh, his reunion with Frank, 
And then it's the chicken scene. <laughs> Those so, are his three big arias. One of Ferrar's favorite scenes because it was filmed in a very grim Brooklyn slum neighborhood mm-hmm. that they had to like figure out how to even shoot there and the whole thing. And you know, he's not, very attached to that. Not only that, though, it's like also uh, uh, expressions that I would later hear for the rest of the decade. I actually heard for the first time in that scene. Uh, I'd never heard the expression, I'll slap the black off you before. <laughs> All right, that was the first time I heard it when uh, Fish says it to Snipes. Jump down your motherfucking throat! Slap me, give me a motherfucker, I'm gonna slap the black off Take the cuffs off, All right, I've since heard it many times, but that was the first time I heard it. And that was actually the first time I ever heard, fuck you very much. <laughs> and I would proceed to hear that, all right, uh, for the for the rest of the 90s, all right? But those were the first times I'd ever heard those expressions. Growing up in New York, I had heard those phrases before I saw them. <laughs> the wedding scene? Yeah. Yeah. Huge one. Very good. The speech, fantasy loves yeah. that one. The um, most, the mo- and I also, maybe the most uh, 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 Chimino-esque. Mm-hmm. Sequence, very deep, and, and, yeah, yeah, and 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 but right on. I mean, yeah. really, you know, a, a good comparison by comparison. Yeah. Then another Caruso one, the the bar monologue about having to take these guys down and actually kill Frank White. We can make it look like a rival gang if that makes you feel any better. You're gonna shoot everybody you can arrest, Dennis. That's not your fucking. You know what my problem is with you? I can't do my job. My job is to protect the people of this city, and you won't let me. In fr- which he's doing in front of the bartender, which I thought was maybe a tactical mistake. Well, but a, well, the, bar- a the bartender in a cop bar is always an yeah, old okay. cop. I opened a <laughs> <True>. bar. <laughs> You're preventing me from doing my job. <laughs> right. He's so uh, good. Well, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> And now you know. (laughs) I'm just saying. Uh, It's my job to protect the people of this city. He's so And he's laughing at us. (laughs) The big nightclub shootout. (laughs) With Schooly D. Yes, a legend. I've written about Schooly D many times in my career. This is a very important Schooly D movie. And then finally, Fishburne. I'm black. That one, yeah. (laughs) Fishburne killing Snipes in the rain. And then we just go to the tail ending of him getting in the cab and realizing he was shot. Did I leave anything out? Um, I, I think the 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 Plaza Hotel dinner scene with the uh, yeah we, with the columnists and the lawyer and the beautiful people and the sort of like New York that mm-hmm. maybe existed once upon a time, maybe never even existed, maybe it's imagined. But little it's like, bonfire of the vanities feel a little bit, yeah. Um, but a real, but a real New York that actually you know, and Farrar hobnobbed in both New Yorks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's an important thing. He was a you know he was a cult figure in New York for, for the next decade actually, right? right. And uh, so he you know uh, uh, I'm sure I'm sure he called Pete Ham uh, Pete Hamill up and says, hey Pete, be in my fucking thing. Pete's pretty good too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh huh. It's exciting. Pete Hamill is like my my mm-hmm. grandparents and their, their whole generation by far mm-hmm. their favorite columnist. That was their guy. Mm-hmm. They like. They grew up in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. and they, they worshipped him. They read him till, till the day they died. To me, he was the, he was the guy who wrote uh, 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 Flesh and Blood, that, yeah. that boxing yeah. novel. <laughs> the only other one I had was, I forgot to put this one in, walk and go in to see uh, Victor Argo in his place. And do oh, when he cuffs him? This country spends $100 billion a year on getting high. It's funny because some of these are like mm-hmm. great scenes and some of them are great lines like yeah. um the scene- yeah i'm holding off i'm i'm holding off on the re- 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 quotable lines you know i'm yeah. holding i'm i'm, thinking, I'm so not, i don't want i don't want i don't want to piss them away for that i would I, i'd add one other thing okay because uh um i think the best action scene in the movie is the car chase yeah yeah 
All right. And even that has a bit of sloppiness to it. I mean, there is a, a aspect where it's like uh, he's definitely inspired by some of that Hong Kong stuff. Farrar is not a great action director. He has a he, he's he has a similarity to uh, um, um, and they're both kind of wild guys, too, of uh, Sam Fuller. All right. And that is, you know, he's about the moment. He's about the excitement of the thing. So he's not going to have the get everything perfectly right that you need in order to pull off a, an action scene to make it transcend. So even that is as close as he, as he can get. And it's still so obvious that it's not Christopher Walken driving the car. The guy even has black hair yeah. who's driving the car. And every time that cuts into a close-up of Walken, you're like, oh shit, I forgot that it's supposed to be Frank behind the wheel. And, and you know, but that's the sloppiness that's easily taken care of that it just, I mean, at the very least put a fucking wig on the dude and, yeah. and but he his, doesn't even do that. His kill scenes are really good though. Cause the, ch- but, the chase into the, the kill the, the scenes showdowns. are great, but that those aren't act, those aren't action set pieces. Right, right, right. I'm saying he's faulty, but faulty in that way that, like I said, Sam Fuller was, he was all about the moment and he was about, and then when the moment's over, he's onto something else. So what do you have from us? I would say the, the, am I black enough for you kind of dance sequence? Where they're partying all the way into the, the the raid on the on the compound. That's like that to me is when I was watching the movie. I was like, I've just never seen anything like this. I've never seen a scene set to a song like this. Mm-hmm. Never seen this use of color. Um, that's a really good. Uh, that's a really good uh, case for that scene. It's, I, just, it's that, very. I unique. had that as well. I you know uh, I always just am so enamored with Jimmy Jim's uh, introduction. Mm. All right, but I'll 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 join you guys though. All right, because that song is just so fantastic, and it and we're now in the bowels of their world. So I I, I really get that. I really really get that. Yeah. Price tag twelve million. Cash. I can get you six, and I get you another six after I recoup from street sales. Have the cash. You get half the drugs. This is this is film hip hop dorky, but there weren't a lot of movies around this time that were using this hip hop that had basically started just a few years before correctly in movies. Well, not this is really like other than do the right thing. Yeah, the first movie I remember that kind of hit it Mm -hmm. correctly, Mm -hmm. and where it was like, oh, this makes sense that this song would be playing in this nightclub with these people doing this. And Schoolie is a lot different from what was becoming mainstream rap. I mean, mm-hmm. he is really the godfather of gangster rap. He's not New York. He's Philly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, PSK, what does it mean? Parkside Killers is like a, it's a really important thing and it influences NWA and it influences all the New York rappers. He's like a very, it influences all the rappers in Texas. He's a really, really important dude. And able making a connection with him mm-hmm. is one of those just like, if you have taste, you have taste. Like yeah. Abel just has taste. He just could spot things. No, game finds yeah. game. Exactly. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and that makes it such a that's part of what makes that scene. Game so recognizes special. game. For sure. It is, yeah. What stage the best? I'll just rip through these. The use of a limo as an action movie car? <laughs> Fucking hell yeah, man. <laughs> it just doesn't happen often. You know, there even is a moment. <laughs> when fish comes out of the sunroof, all right, yeah. and is blowing two guns, that like Stipes is like, oh, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> like, that's unfair. <laughs> I got to do this shit. <laughs> I was trying to think of my, I was going to make a list of best uses of a limo in a movie, not for the typical use of a limo. Because yeah, uh-huh. I was thinking about Michael Keaton in Night Shift, mm-hmm. how he makes yeah, that yeah, like yeah, the uh-huh. morgue mobile and uh, is playing Rolling Stones in it without a and then, I mean, But I mean, but the, you know, the, limo, the limo at the beginning picking Frank up could be like Dracula's. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. coach, you know, driverless fucking black 
coach, all right, that like picks people up at the fucking stagecoach thing and like takes them up to the castle. <laughs> Have any other action movies used a limo like that? Not like that. Um, I don't. I, can I think feel of. like the answer is no. No, it doesn't. Also, doesn't Teresa Randall also pop out with the guns? Oh yeah, and yeah. The yeah. yeah. Pop out of the sunroof, yeah. okay. the sunroof was great. Um, Pretty Woman had some good. Oh, not, not Pretty Woman. Big. Had a good limo scene, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. with Elizabeth Perkins. Well, you're the end of Pretty Woman. Pretty, end of Pretty right Woman. Right I guess he's, that, up, right. he's standing out there. Uh, another would say Jabez. We talked about it, but you have a young Fishburne, Buscemi, Caruso, Snipes, and Esposito, mm-hmm. yes. and Paul Caldwell. Mm-hmm. But yes. just a lot of young. Speaking people. of people who had to wait a long time to kind of get their famous mm-hmm. moment, Esposito mm-hmm. had to wait 20, yeah, 20 more years. Yeah, yeah. yeah twenty more years. Um, Another what's age the best? The Snipes Caruso buddy cop movie that's buried inside yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. I uh-huh. want it. I that's, want the prequel. It could have been running scared with uh, Billy Crystal yeah, right. Gregory Hines, like <laughs> kind of in that in that in that world. Never happened. But I actually think you know something else you could actually make a case about is I mean in almost every way, shape, and form. And I hadn't thought about this until I watched it again. Is the whole structure of King of New York is basically the wire. Mm. Oh yeah. All right. You know the whole thing is you 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 watch Frank there like the way you watch Barksdale, but then you're completely connected to every member of his team and their function as how it works. I mean, you're completely com- connected to uh, Calderon's job, what he has to do, yeah. what Jimmy Jim has to do, what Esposito has to do. You understand who the girls are. You understand their function. And then now you got to meet all these Mookie cops. Mm-hmm. All right. And you see them and they're, and, and, and like the wire, even though you're down with them, they're not as flashy and you don't enjoy them as much as you enjoy the bad guys. Yep, really <laughs> and you're kind of rooting for the bad guys because they're just more enjoyable. <laughs> there was, when I was doing the research, research, there was a think piece about this that I thought it was a little bit of a stretch, but maybe not as much of a stretch as I thought when I read it because you made a good case about mm-hmm. how this paves the way for the shield mm-hmm. and then the wire and this kind of a thing where you just have all these weird characters and they're not even in it that often, but you know what everybody's job is. Whatever their job is, is kind of fascinating. Mm -hmm. Who knows if this influenced the shield, Mm -hmm. but it was the first of its kind. I don't, I can't really remember another movie doing that. Mm -hmm. So there's something to to me. There's a thing about, to me, there's the wire wire because it's like the combination of the two camps and you're hopping back and forth of the two camps. And then the bad camp just, can't help but be more compelling. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so thus it it, put, it throws uh, actually no anxiety with me, but but a, a seeming anxiety for the viewer. Yeah, the one thing that makes him like the shield as well, I think, is that the moral, not even ambiguity, but the, the badness of the cops in this movie is real. Mm-hmm. Caruso is breaking the law. He's like, I'm going to fucking kill him. Yeah, yeah. And in The Wire... All the way through the first three seasons, you feel like the cops are trying to stay within the lines. They're yeah, trying yeah. to, and then four and five things change a little bit. But mm-hmm. the, the the world in which like the cops are just as bad as the bad guys mm-hmm. is like that's a big part of telling the story. That's why you root yeah. for Frank White. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have for what stage the best. Just to mention it a second time, Caruso's wedding performance. Joe Mulligan, father of bride. Come on up here, Joe. Joe provided these lovely decorations for us. Where'd you get these, Joe, an AA meeting? <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, he paid for the whole thing, the whole $200. Uh, I for life Joe, by the way, put your shotgun away. The test came back negative. <laughs> yeah, hey. there you go. All right, all right. Roy Bishop, do I detect a little Afro sheen on that unusually wavy hair? <laughs> Uh, yeah, real. Mm-hmm. Need to hear the whole four speech. minutes for him. I need yeah, to hear the whole yeah. speech. He, he makes like three threes in two seconds. 
uh, walking dealing with muggers on the subway, <laughs> which is like a little vestige of a lot of 70s, 80s New mm-hmm. York movies mm-hmm. where yeah. there was always like the stereotypical mugger scene and yeah. they actually- And Harold- uh, uh, no. yeah, 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 yeah. Super young Harold Perrineau. Oh, yeah. Perrineau. yeah. yeah. Larry Wong keeping his cocaine in giant MSG containers. Yeah. <laughs> what a great idea. That is a great who's idea. Gonna, who's going to ever figure that out? <laughs> that, was, that was good. Uh, also, Larry Wong hanging upside down. I really enjoyed yeah, it. It's, yeah, a yeah, yeah. Best. it's unclear how he died. Uh-huh. He's just hanging upside down. It's like... What it, happened to him? Are they going to explain it? it? Well, but it's like a genius callback to Nosferatu. He's watching yeah, Nosferatu. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's like oh, a bat. Yeah, he looks, looks like Nosferatu. Yeah. And Walken is channeling fucking Nosferatu. Yeah, totally. Like a fucking bat. Yes. I didn't catch so that. Good. That's why you guys are the experts. What else do you have for what stage the best? <laughs> hmm. Anything else? We hit uh, almost uh, Well, well I would so say, look, well, uh, um, um, we've already said it before, but now to actually say it in the proper category is uh, the whole hip-hop gangster, the whole hip-hop aspect. The black and Puerto Rican uh, foot soldier gang. Yeah. 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 All right, is like introduced a whole new thing to gangster films at that time. And then uh, obviously it sets off like yeah. a dozen movies that are mm-hmm. like this after New Jack City blows up. Mm-hmm. I guess we could mention 1990 New, 1990 New York. Oh, yeah. As Age the Best just as a movie locale because we always talk about it on this pod about mm-hmm. how New York has been a character in all these different movies, mm-hmm, especially yeah. like the Warriors and yeah, the yeah, late seventies yeah. and Manhattan's just such an essential part of it. And then that kind of fades as the eighties go and then mm-hmm. it really comes mm-hmm. back. Yeah, but I was movie. and I would say both New York as a place and also those actors from that time as actors yeah. in a place in time. Mm-hmm. I also like that it's high low New York. Yeah, yeah. It's the plaza and it's under the bridge. You know, it's it's as mm-hmm. glossy as you can get and it's as low down as you can get in the same movie, which is part of what's appealing about this movie in general, right? It's yeah, like uh-huh. Abel's like exploitation background, but also his like beautiful photographic cinematic sense. Like mm-hmm. all that stuff fits together. What do you have for what stage is the best? What would you pick? I just think that the 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 kind of like movement of the hip hop gangster movie is is the most I would yeah, I would I would I would say the the mil- I would agree. Uh, the milieu of the hip hop gangster movie. I have that second. I I think the catching all these guys at this cool moment of their career wow, is probably dude. my favorite thing. That's undeniable too. Yeah. It's just the odds of getting three is pretty good, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh-huh. To go to go for like six mm-hmm. plus walking. And, I don't know. The casting is great. Mm-hmm. What's age the worst? Um, I, I always think it really. I you know. Uh, be one of those things where everything you're going to say is like that's the thing that makes the movie the great right? Right. <laughs> um, actually I think one of the things that ages the worst is Janet Julian in as the the lawyer girl alright that is uh, because there's an aspect about it where it's like even when you see her name pop up in the credits surrounded by all the guys in front and all the guys in back you're like what the hell now I actually think she catches up to some degree by the time that they're at the Freddie Jackson uh, 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 him singing yeah, yeah. thing, benefit, and you, and you yeah. kind of see her. Uh, you kind of see her like about partying in her uh, her female tuxedo. She's kind of won me over a little bit, but it's like if there's one person who doesn't belong in this magnificent cast of of, of ball biters, it's her. Yeah, she's a weird one. I don't have a big relationship to her. Like, I haven't seen her in a lot of I stuff. Don't know. I other I think, than this movie, I don't even. I know think she's she, she was in a couple. Of, the name was familiar, and her face was familiar. She was in a couple of things, but I mean, you know, she literally looked. She looks like she. I, I. I. You know, I don't know how she won the part. But the thing about it though is, uh, I mean, you totally want Ariana to be that part. Mm-hmm. 
the girl from a year of the dragon at the beginning. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had her in what's age the worst and we have her coming up in the recasting couch. Great. <laughs> oh, great. Um, Excellent. I just assume like to me, the watershed all time. Why are you in this movie is, is Karen Lingorny and Saturday night fever <laughs> where it's like, were you dating the director or something? And then it's like, Oh yeah, she actually was. She, actually, the director. Yeah, That's yeah. How she got in there, but man, she's, she's tough in this one. She's You're just, probably going to get mad at this next one. You haven't been mad at me this whole podcast. Yeah, like, this is going to make you mad. What stage is the worst? Victor Argo. I just think he's bad as Bishop. I, I, I wish that was an awesome actor in that part because I think there's a lot to work with in that part and he gets nowhere with it. Yeah, you know, look, you know. I'm uh, sorry if you're a Victor no, Argo no, fan. No, no, no I, well, I'm a, I, I know, I, I knew Vic and everything like that and he's a good guy. Uh, I do, I, I, I unfortunately agree with you. I think he's fine in the movie, but but, but but he's, but the part deserved more than fine, and I actually and I actually think he didn't quite realize. I don't. I think he had. I, I didn't think he thought the movie was that good, and so he just did. He did his journeyman role, and I actually think uh, more could much more could be done with I'm, that character. Uh, I mean, we'll I save it wish, for recasting couch. I mean, I, I even wish. Thoughts. I mean, I even wish that. Oh wait. Talked about rewatchable scenes, and we didn't talk about fucking Walken killing fucking Caruso at the goddamn funeral. At the funeral, yeah. one of the great fuck yous of all time. Yeah, I have I, <laughs> one I of the great shotgun got, deaths of all time. I have some logical issues with the scene. I don't think I, he gets away. You know, the p- police funerals are not easy to infiltrate. That's my one take on the scene. It's like so. There's a thousand cops mm-hmm. at this funeral. <laughs> Maybe that's what actually one of my favorite. Parts of it is the going. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's actually a great moment. <laughs> it's funny, but it's, like, it's police funerals are very protected. There's a lot of bodyguards. There's a lot of intri- entries and you might very well be right. I wouldn't change a, a frame of it. Though. The kill is amazing because I mean, well, you just the you just and, don't yeah. expect it. Yeah. I mean, even like when you've seen it before, you it's a thing that's easy to forget. Yeah, no, it's and they're like, oh. Wow, that's a good one. Argo is tricky, right? Because he's like, um, he's like the central figure that unites Abel, Scorsese, and Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. He's like the only actor. I mean, maybe I'm over overstating it. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's like the only actor who's worked with all of those guys multiple times. It was like Harvey Cattell's best friend in the yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's I, all right. So I'll step on recasting couch. It's a part for like 2001 Harvey Cattell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little bit older version of him. It's but it's some whoever the nineteen ninety version. I actually, of that I, actually is. I actually wish. Uh, 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 well, uh, there's a Harvey story involving this movie. Um, oh. you know, I actually wish if fucking Russo wasn't going to play mm. that he played Caruso, he played that guy. Yeah, you don't think the guy had to be older. Though? He's got to be older, right? Because he's like he's like the the he's stuck between these two warring generations. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I, yeah, uh, uh, I still would prefer it, yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Uh, he should be, he should be old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ricardo Montalban maybe would have been good. That would have been no, a little much. No, another, no, 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 like a Tony Lobianco or a Cliff yeah, yeah, Gordon. Yeah. A, a, a 70s New York exactly. actor. Mm-hmm. Any other what's age the worst? I really didn't have a lot for this category. I was surprised. Um, no, because I feel like the, people movie. tried to say the things that age the worst upon release. Mm-hmm. And yeah. all that stuff was overstated and wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Casting what ifs we already did. Deanne Waiter's a word. Oh, no, 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 no. There is, uh, no there's some I, I've been waiting for. Oh, yeah, what else. Yeah. okay. Let's okay, go. Yeah. Um, keeping it in the right lane, mate. <laughs> proud of you. I've been sitting on it. Learned. I've been yeah, sitting, really. you've been trained. You're like a real it. member of the cast. Now. Well, I said, I'm. Uh, don't treat me like I'm some dorky uh, Aaron Sorkin. I mean, treat me like I know what this fucking show's about, all right? 
I, like I've actually seen, I've listened to a few episodes. Oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I uh, love it. Um, so the thing is, uh, um, so okay, so initially, who we was going to do it with, but it, uh, like four years earlier, because they've had the script for a long time trying to get it going. This was his, like I said, magnum opus. For a while, they were going to do it with James Ramar. Mm. Playing Frank White, oh, yeah, like him. That's was, my guy. Yeah, because yeah. it was it was right after Gans. Yeah, it was right after a uh, uh, Cotton Club. Yeah, all right. So uh, he had already played Dutch Schultz in Cotton Club, and so so that he had it. He was having his time right then, and he was going to be in Aliens. He was in the Reese role of Aliens, and so they were going. Oh, I'm going to do it with Jamie Ramar, and it's going to be King of New York, and then they couldn't get it going. So that didn't happen. So then finally, he's set up with Live. They're going to do it, and it's going to be Harvey Cattell. All right, playing Frank White. And they're going to do King of New York, and then they're going to do a Bad Lieutenant together. But then Harvey didn't, Harvey didn't care for the script. And Harvey finally backed out at the mm. line and said, you know what, I don't think this is the one for me to do. Uh, but he considered it for a long time. But I don't think this is the one for me to do. So I'll let you, uh, 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 but uh, I think we should just stick with Bad Lieutenant. So why don't you do this one, and then I'll do Bad Lieutenant when you're, when you're done with this. And so then they went to Walken, and Walken said yes. I, I I think that's perfect though. Like it has to be walking. There's a, walk. there's, a, there's a weirdness. There's like a a distancing thing that Walken has that Kaitel mm. doesn't have. Like I don't. Yeah. I feel like and I and Kaitel is so good in Bad Lieutenant. Like mm-hmm. it, I feel like it worked out perfectly. Yeah, it's the best walking part of all time. Think so? You think so? I do. It's it's I, I, it, it touches all the walking parts that I want to be touched. Well, I would say yeah. I I, I would I guess what would I choose? I guess okay. If I take my th- stuff out of the equation, yeah, I know. Well, no, I can't even take my stuff out of the equation. I would actually say his best scene isn't tr- is in True Romance. I think that's my yeah. favorite one. But I'm saying like a character for okay, a whole well, movie. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I'll go being, for that. Being the lead. Okay, if you're doing that, then I think I, I th- I'm not saying one scene. Yeah, okay, I think it's then I I think it's a three way dogfight between Deer Hunter, King of New York, and the funeral. Hmm. No dead zone. Oh God! No, yeah, dead zone has to be in there. Yeah. It has to be in there. It's tough. And it might win. All right. It might actually win a loser leaf town. I was going to make this case. I was going to make the this case. The ice is going <laughs> to break. Yeah. He's the best. See, I was going to make this case in Apex Mountain, but he gets to be funny in this movie, though. He doesn't yeah. get to be funny in Deer Hunter. So he's using like 80% of his pitches, but he's not going to throw a slider in that movie. In this movie, he's funny. He's scary. He's weird. His funny stuff he's is also his, physical. Sca- his scary stuff, too, which is why it's the perfect thing for mm-hmm. him. You know, you guys got fat while everybody starved on the street. You know, mm-hmm. that whole thing is, like, he's hilarious and so scary at the same time. And, like, all these other guys, like, you know, like I said, Harvey being a little too over-serious about this. A lot of be- people being a little too over-serious about it. Walken realizes he gets to play a vampire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. All right? And not make it a metaphysical piece of bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I have the, this leads into Apex Mountain. I have this as his Apex Mountain. Just 1990. Okay. And for all the reasons covered before, I think it sets and... up it sets up everything that's about to happen to him. Mm-hmm. He's in a Batman movie. What? Eighteen months later, yeah. and, yeah. Uh, playing Matt just, Shrek. Yep. He, yeah, he yeah, has, he, to again. Yeah. He's people like you writing scenes for him, yeah, and yeah. it's just he's in a better place. Uh, Maury Apex Mountain. But what about quotable lines? We're getting. Or is that good thing? Okay, cool. Uh, Apex. Uh, look, I actually uh, Abel. I I I I, I say fish. Ooh. I say it's Fish's Apex Mountain. I say because it's like uh, 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 as terrific as he has been in other things. It, it's 
the level of excitement that I had over him when this movie was over, I I have never had that excitement again. Uh, I mean, I was I was satiated. I was satiated by uh, what's love got to do with it. Mm-hmm. I would I was, say I personally would say that's his apex yeah. moment. I, I and and I'll, and I and and that's and, and that is. I'm that, not saying from a performance standpoint. Yeah, I don't know, but like that's, after that's, that movie, I, he I, has I, better. Look, I no, I. Uh, uh, I can I I can go with I can go with that I understand that and I I, I get I get that argument and I could you know and I was satiated with uh, uh, Matrix. You actually think that's air you're breathing? <laughs> 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 and then if you take the blue pill, you will wake up and you will tell yourself whatever you tell yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not Boys in the Hood. It's not boy because think of Apex Mountain not just as when you liked him the most. Mm-hmm. But when he had the most that he could do, it's after the most career chips. But but Ike Turner comes after. Yeah, it does. Boys in the Hood, it and does. then after that, it was just like, oh, this guy's going to be the next Denzel. I, yes, yeah. but I and 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 I mean, to me, I just thought his world after King of New York would be a far, far huger world, mm. and and it wasn't. It wasn't. It was good, and it was terrific, and it, and 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 he and he did wonderful work, and everything. But I mean, I thought. With this, he could be the greatest actor of his generation. Mm. I literally, I there, that was an actual, real fucking thing. Wow. He could be the greatest actor of his generation after seeing this. Wow. And, and not just after seeing this. It's not like, you know, from Apocalypse Now yeah, and Willie and Phil yeah. and every fucking thing yeah. he did after that and before this. You know, so, so it was all building up to And he had this. made movies with Coppola and Spielberg. Like Absolutely. He was not, no, yeah, no, I can quote his lines from Cotton Club. Mm-hmm. You want me to go against O.A. Madden? <laughs> if you get O.A. Madden on your ass, you truly have somebody on your ass. <laughs> 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 not Bobby Fisher for Apex Man. <laughs> I'm not inviting either no, it's, of you it's, on that it's podcast. Joe Allen's Apex Man. Yeah, I'm not, not, not inviting either of you on that one. Uh, I have the Plaza Hotel as Apex Mountain. Oh. Think of these you have this movie and Home Alone same year. <laughs> when is it? When was it better oh. for the Plaza Hotel? Yeah. It has to be Apex Mountain. This is a great poll. This is why you're the Thank best you. at this. Yeah. That this is, is really a great I, I, poll. Yeah, I, I, uh, Donald Trump back when he was still not really Donald Trump yet. Movie limos, Apex Mountain. <laughs> movie limos, yeah. Movie Let's limos, put it in there. <laughs> put it in there, man. Incredible. <laughs> How about um, Schooly D, no question. Oh, of course. Oh, On yeah. screen, sure, but maybe not in his career. No, but it's yeah. great, mo- great great, year for him. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say Freddie Jackson's Apex Mountain. <laughs> You know, I I was trying to rack my brain about whether or not, like, where he was in his career in that scene. Because is he still, like, in the prime of his— He's he's not Luther Vandross anymore, but he's still a dude. A dude, yeah. He's still a dude. He's not Luther Vandross. He's not— I didn't know what category He's not Sylvester, all right, (laughs) you know, but uh, he's—he's not uh, to be real Sylvester. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he's— He's still got clout. Would you go pre-gentrification Brooklyn? I mean, you're talking about like a long history of movies portraying Brooklyn, though. But this is every do the right thing in the thirties and forties, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just throwing it out there. Because it's also they bounce, they bounce from the boroughs too. Like (laughs) the movie takes place all over the place. Anything else? No, I'm. I'm. I'm, uh... Who gets the Dion Waiters award? Is Caruso eligible? Is my first question. No, he's, I think one of he's the probably leads, in too many scenes. Too too many lines. He's like one of the. He's like the third lead. I'm going off the map for this one. Mm -hmm. I have for my choice. Okay. I always love Teresa Randall. Really? Uh-huh. And I love seeing her in this. She's not in it that much. I had a lot of... Wouldn't she be then that guy? I had her in there too. I think she's too famous. 
She's led films. No, but yeah, but well, I, look, I was under the impression that that guy mm-hmm. is either, he's either that guy mm-hmm. or it's that guy before he's that guy. It's, oh. It could be either. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, right. I always thought That's that. interpretation. Oh. Yeah, I always okay. thought it could be, oh, it's somebody before they were that guy. Yeah. Okay. Tricky. It could That's be either. tricky then. Especially in this it's movie, that complicates it. It does. Because Caruso is that. Yeah. that guy. No, 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 no. But Chris is too much of a lead. I mean, he literally is. I mean, okay. you, uh, no, the, the answer to the Joey Pants Award, we can go back to Dan Waiters, is Paul Calderon. Because I think most people don't know who that is. They I know he's Phil that guy. No, lines. man, I would. No, no, I they would. know he's that guy, I, though. I, but, I would say it's Buscemi wins. No, because when, he becomes Steve Buscemi, though. He's, but we just talked about before yeah, the, that guy, yeah, before that guy. You turn this into the Matrix. Hold on. Here are my candidates for heat check. For yeah. Dion Waiters, my, Waiters, my candidates are Carrie Nigren, who does not speak in this movie and is amazing as Melanie. Mm-hmm. Roger Guinevere Smith, who is a city councilman, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, Leonard L. Thomas, who you already mentioned, mm-hmm. who has one of the great line deliveries in the movie. Mm-hmm. Joey Chin. Mm-hmm. Jo- Joey Chin is doing a Joey lot. Joey Chin's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good one. Joey Chin watching Nosferatu and doing that whole spiel is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not Teresa Randall. No, I I, 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 go for Paul Calderon for uh, uh, for, uh Joey Pants. No, what about oh, no, for, Dion Waiters? Dion Waiters. Dion Waiters. I would, go, I would go, I would, I would go for Calderon for Dion Waiters. Okay, okay. I was under the impression that that guy could literally be. Look, Steve Buscemi was that guy when this movie was made. Yeah, yeah. He was that guy. He was that guy. He was like the old, most things people knew him for, if you knew him at all, was probably for the movie Parting Glances he did. Mm-hmm. But in other things, he would pop up. It was your movie that made him not that made him. Yeah, but that wasn't. But that was after this movie. That's yeah. two years yeah. after this yeah. movie. Yeah. Before this movie, it's like he, he pops up in Billy Bathgate. Mm-hmm. He's like a, mm-hmm. a henchman in Billy Bathgate. He pops up in Heart of Midnight. Mm-hmm. He pops up in uh, uh, in, the, in the Miller's Crossing. Uh, yeah, in Miller's Crossing. Yeah. He pops up in uh, uh, Barton Fink. Yeah. You know, and he's always that guy. Mm-hmm. He's, so maybe uh, this is a variation of the category, the at the at the time Joey Pants Award. See, I I personally, I'll just say for the record, I like Joey Pants for the people whose names you don't know right now. I so think I like right. it for, and it's t- it's tough with you because you know everyone's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Victor Argo is a person who, to any you know movie fan, but not cinephile, is a that guy. I You've think Paul Calderon in, is. I he, think he's he a that guy. He is definitely a that guy. He is. I saw that guy in Pulp Fiction. I don't know what his name is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For Dion Waiters, though, I'm I, gonna make, can I make the case for ahead. Teresa Randall? Sure, go ahead. Not positive what her job is. Mm-hmm. Not positive what her motivation is to be in the movie, like what he was thinking. She owns every scene she's in. I'm convinced she's dangerous. Mm-hmm. She can do drugs with whoever. She's hot. And... For some reason, I'm rooting for her to survive, and she barely has any lines. She's described as a bodyguard. Yeah, right. So, you know, redefines bodyguard, I guess. Let's take a break to talk about the Rewatchables, the podcast you're listening to right now. This was the 100th episode of the Rewatchables. That's right. Episode 100. We've done 100 movies, and if you want to know what they were, you should follow the Rewatchables Twitter feed, which is at the Rewatchables where we have put a bunch of uh, stuff from our highlights from the from the 100 movies that we've done. We have a page that has all the links with breakouts that we did from different movies. And uh, we also have a Facebook group that you can join. It's closed. So it's only people that uh, 
that love the show. We want real discourse. We don't want people coming and just flaming everybody. But that is on Facebook. The The group is called The Rewatchable. So if you didn't know about that, go check us out. The 101st episode, the anniversary celebration episode is next week. And it's a movie we've already done. So we're sticking with the, with the 100. The first movie we ever did was called Heat. You might have heard of it. Michael Mann classic, Pacino and De Niro. That was the podcast that basically led to the format that we have now. So what we thought we would do, me and Chris Ryan, back again. We're calling it the reheat. We're just doing heat again, but we're doing it with the categories that we have now after 100 episodes of the Rewatchables. So check that out next week. If you didn't know about our Facebook group and you want to, and you want to uh, jump into that, God bless. If you didn't know about our Twitter feed, why aren't you following it? Go follow us there. And thanks for spreading the word and supporting. It's been a blast to watch this uh, podcast feed unfold. Uh, back to King of New York with Quentin Tarantino and Sean Fennessy. Linda Partridge, they knew overacting award. I uh, have Artie Clay yeah. peeing on Paul Codron's <laughs> shoes. Yeah. I Listen, Fishburne's amazing in this movie. He dials it up in that last scene. The death scene, he's dialing it up. Yeah, when yeah. he's Kill screaming, me! laughing. <laughs> like I said, I'm choosing I'm choosing Fishburne for Apex Mountain. So all right, right. I wouldn't give him the, the overacting award, yeah. all right? Even though he would earn it. Even though you know, I I'm think it's already dialed it up. Yeah. I think it's already clay. I think it's already clay. Yeah. But also I think, I mean, uh uh one I, Artie Clay is the perfect that guy too. He's with the the uh, one of the uh, hoods at the beginning of uh, Once Upon a Time in America. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, All right. That shows up. Another that guy is the father of the bride. Yeah, uh, he's in Sorcerer, and uh, he's uh, uh, what you might call it, uh, Scheider's uh, uh, partner in the robbery. Right. And right. Uh, but and he's also and he's also one of the four member, one of the five members of the Brinks job. Okay. Are we meant to believe that he's the father of the bride or the father of the? Is he is he a family member? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think he, yeah. He's the father. But of then the he's bro- in the bar later in the. Yeah, movie no, but well, too. he's a cop. He's a cop. Okay. He's a cop. He's a cop. Yeah, the uh, 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 James Lorenz. All right, right. marries. Right. Or who's from Street Trash? All right. Yeah, right. he marries. Yeah, he marries a, a cop's daughter. Okay. <laughs> I'm moving to uh, half-assed internet research because we're behind schedule. The real uh, Christopher Walken called Biggie's hotel room. And left a message, hey, this is the real king of New York, call me. That actually <laughs> happened in the mid-90s. That's, that's, that's maybe apocryphal. But I, I, I love the story. I love the story. half fascinating research. Um, at the second showing in the New York Film Festival, Lawrence Fishburne and Nicholas St. John were booed off the stage. <laughs> so that happened. The first cut of the film ran for almost two hours, had to be edited down to 106 minutes to avoid an X rating. I don't know what was in there. I want to see that um, version. Me too. Donald Trump, this is direct director saying this, Donald Trump gave him permission to film at the Plaza Hotel at no charge on condition that Walken would pose for a photograph with Ivana Trump. Incredible. <laughs> that almost has to be true. Oh, How yeah, do you make I that, that up? Sense. I, I believe that one. Abel claims that Wesley Snipes was living in his car during production of this film. I looked at his IMDb. It's possible. He really only made Major League and it was like a year later. He might might have been living in his car. It's conceivable. Sure. The film's opening sequence was shot partially at Sing Sing Prison, the first time the prison was ever used in a movie. Oh, wow. The great, word great, fuck. Great gate. The word <laughs> fuck is used how many times do you think? I have no clue. What would you guess? I'm bad at that. I don't have a What would you guess? 100. 90. 90. And then 
Did we mention that Abel directed a porn film titled Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy using a yeah, pseudonym? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Uh, we didn't mention that. No, we didn't mention it, but I know. Throwing that in there. Okay. Recasting couch. Here's where we go back to Jana Julian. Mm. <laughs> Poor gal. <laughs> Poor Tough Jenna beat Julian. for her. What about Sharon Stone? 1990 Sharon Stone. Kind of that Action Jackson total recall. Yeah. Kind of era for her. Yeah, no, I could see that. I think that could have worked. I just want someone who's more New York. Janet Julian and Sharon Stone is not very New York either. Yeah, that, they're, they're that doesn't work like for you Midwest then. California. Annabella Sierra. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah but no, like no, no, I, you know, look, the one thing about, look, Janet Julian doesn't work, but the idea behind the girl being out of place does work. Yeah, that's true. All right. So I like the idea of a, of a, of a, a Kelly Lynch. Mm. Or somebody, especially with the whole uh, 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 Chimino. Kelly Lynch. Yes, uh, that's uh, perfect. Yeah, that's the, who it should be. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm remember that. she plays the the, the, the lawyer in uh, uh, Desperate Hours. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, so that yeah, would yeah. even work in with the whole Chimino. Well, she's Coglin's girlfriend in, yeah, yeah. in uh, yeah. cocktail like cocktail. a year before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Kelly Lynch would have been perfect. Yeah. Damn it! Still a little California for me, but okay. But like I said, though, I mean, we're kind of like, yeah. no, the, the, she's, she, for money, she's drawn to New York to yeah. deal with this. But, the, but I like the fact that it's not an Italian chick or a, right, a right, Jewish right. chick. Yeah. Maybe it's right. more like it needed to be like a, like a New England kind of a person, you know, somebody who is like not familiar, not used to being in the kind of rough and tumble New York scene. But anyway, I digress. Kelly Lynch is a good suggestion. Picking nits. Walking punches. When are we going to do the, the, the lines? Okay. It's the next one. <laughs> I don't remember being this far down the list. Well, this is a really long podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Picking nets. You're rewriting it for this no, episode. Yeah, and I'm waiting to say the fucking lines. <laughs> it's coming. It's usually married to. You want to uh, just do it now? No, 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 no. Go Do it your way. Picking nets. <laughs> <laughs> it's the money shot. Walking, punching snipes multiple times. You when they it. when they get him the first time, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't I, buy that either. Didn't agree with that. Yeah, Snipes I, is cool with it. No. Oh, thanks for punching me in the face five times. No. If, get like, back in my car. In, what, in, t- in the world that we now know really exists yeah. and not the world that Starsky and Hutch told us or police story told <laughs> yeah. us existed. All right. Oh, we needed an excuse to shoot Frank. Well, you just have it. Right. You know, just punch Wesley. He just punched a cop. Yep. The China- I, was, I was afraid for my life. <laughs> <laughs> the Chinatown shootout. Yeah. Oh, what about that? A little one-sided. Felt like somebody on walking side could have been shot. He's he's just strolling the streets. I love fire. it. It's like a call, it's like a callback to the Paul Mooney Scarface. It's a little great. one-sided. I love it. Uh, look, I can, look. I I can always go for a few more extras on each side, <laughs> taking more bullets down. than they normally do. All I mean, right, they win yeah, the shootout yeah. ten to zero. I would, I, I, look, I, I'm always, I always have a problem with that. I still like the shootout, but I always have a problem with that. Caruso dies. That scene of just being able to assassinate somebody at a police funeral, I wasn't 100% sold on, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, you know where I stand on that one. What was Snipes' game plan with the tail end of the Fishburne shootout when he's chasing him and he just wanders into this giant dark open area and he's like <laughs> calling him out? Jimmy, I think that the I'm the, right here. I'm I, with you, and it's like you're just gonna die. What are you doing? I think the adrenaline was really flowing after the. Crazy I think car I chase. think the adrenaline is throwing, and I think he's counting on fish to get out of there. Mm. All right, as opposed to lying and wait. Well, I mean, which is a dumb to kill fucking right. Bad strategy. Move. He's trying right. to elude. Yeah. That's why I'm picking right. this buy, that buy, one. That. And then, um, why did uh, Joey, aka Paul Calderon, why did he set Frank and his crew up at the club? How much money could he have possibly been offered 
Enough to, to make sell it worth those guys out. Enough the, to make it worth his while. But by cops, how much are cops offering to, so my, to for I, a sellout? I thought about this a little bit. And my take on it is that he knew that Frank was doomed. Mm-hmm. And then he knew that this plan to take over the mm-hmm. city fully, was ne- they, the cops were never going to let it happen. And that, so he was like, I got to get out of this racket mm-hmm. right now and get away from Frank's side. So the only way to sell him out is to sell him out to the cops. But, you know, here's the weird part about that, though. is It's like, one, I mean, look, if, if, if it did work according to plan, well, then it's all taken care of because everybody's dead. So there is no recoup- you know, there is no True. retaliation. Um, That's smart. But having said that, and this is something I don't think I ever thought about until I watched it this time. Frank's plan seemed like it was working like a fucking charm. Yeah, no, yeah. that's true. I mean, I, I mean, uh, uh, it actually was almost like the way we're talking about uh, Unstoppable, almost about the way that uh, all the people who work for the train company um, uh, uh, don't give 777 enough respect. Yeah. Right, they all think they can handle 777 and they can't. And 777 just keeps proving that it cannot be stopped and all your uh, attempts are ridiculous. And I am the King Kong of this jungle. Uh, <laughs> is the same arrogance that all the mob guys that that Frank actually tries to deal with. He tries to deal with them as businessmen. Yep. And they're like, you're fucking crazy. And then he shows that he's not that he can take them all on and that there is no loyalty involved to these people. He will pay them better. And he can, it all seems like it's going to work and it like it would have worked at least for a while Mm -hmm. if the cops hadn't gone rogue. Very fair. I think, can you trust cops to not go rogue is an interesting question. That's maybe also unanswerable. Any other nitpicks? Because we're about to do best quote. No, let's do best quote. It's time. Best quote. (laughs) Go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, uh, well, there's many. All right. Uh, I'll start it off with, uh, I'm going to go downtown Find me a girl and get my knob polished. <laughs> I'm going downtown, find me a girl, get my knob polished. Sound <laughs> 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 real funny. That's Jimmy in the plaza when yeah. he first sees Frank. There's a lot of Jimmy lines. There's a lot, There's of, a lot, G- of, lot of Jimmy lines coming. For black males, every line that Larry Fishburne has, you say to the screen as you watch it. It's like him and Smokey in fucking Friday. And uh-huh. you would you just say that you say his lines with him. Get my knob <laughs> polished is almost a separate best quote. It gets pulled out. It's a double quote. That's similar to like you were saying about fuck you very much. I don't know if I ever heard got my knob polished before him saying that in the movie too. Yeah. That's good. There's a lot of those. And I, and, and and the Is he ad libbing that or is like Abel writing that? I, I think it's a com. I think it's a combination of it's in the it in that one. I think that's fish. Yeah, that one I think is fish. All right. I feel like anybody could write that. Yeah. Really oh no, good. no, and Nick St. John could. It's, yeah, Nick St. Really? John could. Nick St. John not polished. It's really it's just good. Like that feels like an ad lib. Uh, but uh, uh, then following very closely after that is the uh, the, uh, uh, the last moment. Hey Jim, why didn't you visit me? Who wanted to see you in a cage, man? Really good. Mm-hmm. I should have put that in what Sage the best because he's right. He didn't want to seem that. I actually yeah. felt like that was a genuine explanation. Oh, well, and then fucking Walker's rid of response. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. Great line. Of course. It's perfect, too, because the whole scene starts with you think that there's this, mm-hmm. this tension, this beef, mm-hmm. this drama between them. And then it ends and you feel like maybe the drama and the beef will come back. And then it doesn't. And then they're together for the rest of the movie until, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. until they both die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other best quotes? Uh, uh, we said we've said a lot of them already. Can I do one Jimmy yeah, yeah. one? Yeah. Uh, I love when Joey comes back to the house right before the raid and jumps like, I want to know who I'm selling drugs to. You know what I mean? 
And Joey says, you don't sell drugs, my brother. You shoot people. And he says, yo, I'm unemployed. Ain't nobody left. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yo, Joey D, what's up, my boy? Well, you going to diss me? Ain't going to introduce me to your friends, man? What's up? Because I want to make a good impression on huh? Yeah, well, I want to know who I'm selling drugs to. You know what I'm saying? You don't sell drugs, my brother. You shoot people. <laughs> Yo, I'm unemployed, man. Ain't nobody left. <laughs> <laughs> you can't help me with that. Uh, uh, and then, okay, then, uh, uh, you know, uh, as you said before, which is also a scene, but also like, is the, uh, uh, okay, what would, okay, of Caruso's, yeah. since you're the, uh, the, the cop expert here. Well, I think the test came back negative when he's given the toast. <laughs> it's like the funniest fucking aside. <laughs> <laughs> that I ever ha- that I ever heard. I think his whole speech to in the bar that we talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the bar speech like, is amazing. You're yeah. preventing me from doing my job. Mm-hmm. You know, which is to protect the people of this city, and and basically like, imagine me giving you that speech because mm-hmm. that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like when you kill me someday, take but this over guy's the ringer. My boss, you know, it's like <laughs> you don't tell this guy that you're he's fucking you over by not being able to do your job. Like I don't know, he's Caruso mm-hmm. communicates arrogance better than any actor ever and there's a reason for that but he's so good at it he's so good at being such a prick are you in on proof of life or no i haven't seen proof of life that was caruso dipping back into king of new york caruso oh really huh i think you have to watch i I, I have i have a lot of a lot of females really love that movie it's it's really good and I guess the, the last it, fit, it, fit, it, fit, it fits. It fits their fantasy of like everything is going to shit, and a guy comes in does, does <laughs> that knows complex. that knows how to fucking handle yeah. shit. <laughs> you know what? One scene I forgot about is that features one of my favorite lines. It's very quick. It's when we we see Snipes and Caruso and Victor Argo when they're grabbing uh, when they're grabbing Frank mm-hmm. for the first time, and they're going to drag him out into the car, mm-hmm. and they have that kind of nasty exchange. He's like, "I heard a rumor about you, whatever." And then Frank at the end of it is That's like. I thought about you every time I jerked off, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Okay, we're just throwing out little lies like that. Okay, slap the black off you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix show? I was surprised to my reaction to this. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Oh. I'm, I would watch I would every 10 episodes. You want the extended tales of Frank White? Well, the, the question for me, I, I actually thought this through. I wouldn't want to do 1990. It's like, could you do 2020 King of New York? And what does that look like? What kind Your of music is in like it? This. Yeah, I would look, I, I, look, I, I, I would say yes, but uh, the Achilles heel of this movie is it's too short. Mm. There's a reason the third act is so thin is they've had to just reduce everything. And so uh, it, you know, this movie needed to be two hours, all right? This could have held to a two and a half hours if he had had what he could have done. And also, I just want Frank's reign to be longer. So if you had a, if, if you had a 10-episode version of this from this time period that just, that, it, that lives out, the, we play more about the hospital, more mm. about the cops, more about uh, the inner workings of Frank's, uh, 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 we just talked about The Wire, all right? So I think it all kind of, uh, it would be fantastic. I would set it now. See, the thing that the only tricky part about it is in 1990, if you think about what's going on in New York, you've got the sort of the dying Italian-American mafia mm-hmm. in the city. You've got the, the, the borough starting to gentrify. You've got hip hop coming alive. We talked about mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And you've got the sort of Trump figures rising in power. And it needs to be cocaine. Yeah. 
Yeah. It needs to be Coke. Yeah, because if it's the shit that people are doing now. It's like it's, can't it's, be MDMA. Less, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be fun. Coke. It's got to be Coke. And like the, the, it still needs to have – it needs to have its connection to Scarface. Yeah. It needs to have a, a fish hook, yeah. all right, that connects the two movies together. Next category, probably unanswerable questions. Was the character of Omar inspired by Frank White? Omar? From The Wire. Not Avon. You're saying Omar. I'm saying Omar, the Robin Hood of The Wire. Oh, see, okay, so maybe it's like a or maybe a is it Omar and Avon two. together? No, I, 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 I think if if it's inspired by anybody, it's got to be Barksdale. All right, you know, because it's about it's about the empire. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe, maybe he split Frank White up into five different characters. It, it, that's that's legitimate. I mean, those guys are based on real guys. That because McNulty yeah, has I mean, a little I, Caruso. Yeah. I might go over the edge at True. any time. No, this. I, I actually think a case could be made that. Like, uh, uh, if anything, King of New York is missing an Omar character that in a longer version mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. in a two and a half hour version, that would literally be the, you know, uh, I don't think it would be, I don't, I don't think it would be the guy who's trying to bring down Frank and also effing with the cops. I think it's like, uh, you know, Frank has his gunfighter. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. He has his guy that's, that he sits on ice until he, until he, he gets the word. I agree. <laughs> Did Walken's muggers ever come back to the plaza for a job? They did. We see Harold Pirino later. Yeah. You see him in the plaza, circling in the plaza. He comes back in oh, the movie. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. yeah. He's in the school of D scene. Yeah. So that was answered. He's out there yeah. boogieing in the school of yeah. D scene. Yep, yep, they're there. They, I mean, wouldn't you take <laughs> him up on the job? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is a deeper question. This will be longer, a longer answer. What takes so long for filmmakers to tap into certain people who are obviously stars? So, like, Caruso is somebody I would have bet was going to have a moment at some point. But I didn't know where it was, and it might not ever happen. Walking the same way. Somebody like Fishburne, who's bouncing around the entire 80s, and nobody really totally taps into it until this movie. Why can't... Because we we dealt with this with Grantland and at The Ringer, mm-hmm. where we see writers, and we're like, that person's good. We should get that person. Well, that person would thrive where we are. We just see it. And well, it exa- seems like you can see it with actors. Well, your examples, though, all right, of the ones that you're using as an example, they're doing what it takes to have their moment. They, they, they've they all had done, I mean, in the case of fucking Fish, you're talking about a decade, yeah. all right, of, of complete work leading up to this place that he actually has this type of confidence that he can deliver this way. Uh, and when it came to Caruso, you know, he literally, he was – Again, specializing in that scary best friend role. All right, and then really, and in, in movie. So you think it's more you get pigeonholed movie. and nobody taps into it? Or? No, no, it's a, it's it's you're bringing them along. He's coming along. He, uh, this director and that director, this movie, that movie. The casting directors know him. The directors know him, and he's just waiting for that right role that that finds him. And now he finds it in the case of King of New York, and he finds it in the case of uh, um, NYPD Blue. But there's certain directors, and I think this is something you're probably proud of and should be, is part of the thrill of making a movie is like, I like that person. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put them in this role, and they're going to be fucking awesome in it. Yeah. Do you feel like most directors even think that way, though? Uh, well, or are they just trying to make their movie? And well, I, th- I, think, I think the situation is, I think most directors, um, I think most directors are just 
they know the actors they know, but they're not as plugged in. Yeah. To uh, and look, I'm not as plugged into the young actors of now that I, the, the way I was in the nine, the, the way I was in the '80s and the '90s, and even in uh, the early early 2000s. You know, by the time I know somebody, like a lot of older directors, like you know, well, they're known <laughs> to right. some degree or another. Um, you know, so it's like you know, yeah, I know who Walt Goggins is, all right, from watching The Shield and Justified, but fucking so does everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> they have all watched The Shield and uh, and Justified. But too. if you had an alternate life where uh-huh. you were just a casting director and you never directed, you well, would have been a good casting director. Oh no, actually, my, it was something when I was doing uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs, uh, we were working with a casting director named uh, Ronnie Eskel, who was amongst other things, she was the casting director on L.A. Law. Yeah, at the time. and um. And so we're going through our casting sessions. I've never done, I've done fuck all up until this point. Yeah. And uh, I haven't done jack or shit. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there and I know every fucking actor that's walking through the door. All right. And I, I can say their, their, their names and uh, the characters that they played. Oh, I loved you in this. I loved you in that. And then I'm also showing off. I'm picking the most obscure shit that I could possibly say. If they're older, I'm picking the weird exploitation movie they did in the fucking 70s. And I'm just blowing everyone's mind. And then Ronnie actually says to me, she goes, Quentin, if this directing thing doesn't work, I will give you half my business. Wow. I will. You, you just come working for me. I will split the business in half. Amazing. And, and it'll be me and you. I, if the directing thing doesn't work, I will give you half of my business and just be a casting director with me. I feel like the thing that you said earlier, too, is the point of this, which is it has to be a little bit of game-recognized game, game mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Farrar has to know mm-hmm. that Caruso is ready for this part, and then is it, what is it, Stephen Bochco, and, and, uh, yeah. who was his writing partner? But, I mean, he's, he produces NYPD Blue. Milch, David yeah. Milch. Um, and they recognized yeah. that, that Caruso was ready. But Caruso was, Caruso was one of the young guys. You know, the way, the way like, Turturro had his moment in the 80s and everything. Caruso was yeah. in that spot. And Mad Dog and Glory was, a, was the thing that says he was in that spot. Right. I just did a podcast with Tim Robbins, and he was mm-hmm. telling the story about how he got the player. Mm-hmm. And he's basically like, Altman, if I get the funding to make this, you're my guy. And then couple months pass he can't get the funding and then i forget the actor that he said they had instead but Mm -hmm. they were like we'll fund it but it's got to be with this actor Mm -hmm. and he's like i can't i already promised it to tim robbins and Mm -hmm. it'll be perfect and that's Mm -hmm. who i want in the movie it does seem like with the great directors they do have like a real instinct for Mm -hmm. who's perfect also for the point of the career that they're in, yeah. which I think is one of the things you're the most famous of, right? Well, I mean, when one of the things in the case of like, uh, say, uh, um, uh, Robert Forster as Max Cherry and yeah. Jackie Brown. All right. That was the situation where when I wrote the part and thinking about who I was going to cast in it, I had four names that I actually thought would be terrific Maxes. I thought Paul Newman at that time would have been a great Max. Jesus. I thought Gene Hackman at that time would have been a great Max. But it's almost, that's almost too dead on casting because yeah, that's yeah. exactly the kind of he role that, that he character. played yeah. and that he is that right. character. I thought Forster would be a great Max Cherry and I thought John Saxon mm-hmm. would, be oh, great, wow. would be a great uh, Max Cherry. And so those were kind of my four guys. Obviously, I'm going one way. I'm going one way with two guys and going the other way with the other two guys. And um, and then, like I said, after I watched Alligator again, I was like, this, uh, this is not just I mean, this is the character. This is, he's actually, this, that, that is Max Cherry just in an earlier, 17 years earlier. And then I happenstance bumped into 
Robert Forrester in a, in a restaurant. And then I just decided to give him the role. I and that was him, it. I gave him the role then before we even opened up offices because I knew that bigger names were going to really want to play the role. But if I had already given it to him and given him my word, then there'd be nothing I could do about it. I'm sorry, guys. I already gave it away. Paul Newman. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Same thing as all these other what ifs, though. It's like Forster's perfect in that part. Yeah. And uh, so it doesn't, you wouldn't, I, I, I worship Hackman. I think he's like, he's an unexplored person on this show, Hackman. actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, when we I, do anything in the stadium, won't be. That, well, that's another conversation, I guess. <laughs> um, not my favorite Hackman role. Oh, Chris and I'll do it. Um, we'll leave you out. But, he, I I would take Forrester a hundred out of a hundred times. But yeah. I also, yeah. you know, you thought of that. Mm-hmm. But when, know? but like Pam Greer, you were, you were no, saying no, for I'm years, the, no, the she, reason I'm no, making a movie. No, with no, Pam the Greer. reason I'm writing it is to, to yeah, do a Pam Greer movie. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So Pam Greer was that, she was baked in the cake. Right. But Travolta <laughs> is somebody you're fascinated by who's in a career swoon mm-hmm. and you're going, wow, that guy's. It's almost like a basketball player on the well, wrong actually, team for five so, years. See, initially, I had actually, because I thought it was going to be Michael Madsen playing Vincent. Right, right, right. right. So I was actually thinking that Travolta could have been good in the Eric Stoltz role. Oh. All right. And so then I sit there, I get together and talk to him. And then in talking to him, I realize, oh, wow, he could be a good Vincent. That This could be an interesting Vincent. Well, okay, well, I have a little, I have a backup if, if things don't work out with, with Michael. And things didn't work out with Michael. And so I went. And there was also one of the things where I was like, uh, uh, because I'd made the movie a zillion times in my mind with Michael, the idea of thinking about John in the part it seemed fresh and new because I hadn't seen that movie at 10,000 mm-hmm. times. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you're in the writing. Yeah. Yeah. And like somebody like Brad Pitt mm-hmm. in the last movie you just made. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is that you're hoping he does it, but it could potentially be other people, or is it just yeah, no, it has, like this has to be no, Brad no, Pitt? No, no, it's like uh, what you just can't assume something like that when it comes to guys like that. I mean, the fact is, I uh, you know I lucked out with one of the you yeah, know, but you're you you can get Brad Pitt at this point. I can get, well, but can I get both of them? All right, yeah. that's that 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 was a casting coup that a lot of things had to just literally work out the right way. Getting two of the most famous actors the last 50 yeah, I mean years. that they're not booked on another movie. <laughs> right. All right, that we can work out a, a a deal that everyone that everyone's going to be happy with, uh, uh, that we can afford them. I mean, all that kind of business all all had to happen. But not only that, I'm also stuck into another situation where the fact is the guys had to be realistic doubles. Yeah. So it was like uh, if I, I I had to have my Rick. First, I couldn't cast uh, Cliff until I had a Rick. Oh, that's and Brad's even talked about that in interviews. Yeah. He goes, "Well, he needed he needed to know his Rick, and then he needed to know who he's casting as the double, and that had to work out." And say it worked out pretty well. Yes, it did. Worked out pretty well. Who won uh, King of New York? For me, it's always going to be Fish. I'm going walking. I think it, I, I'm going walking as well. But you made I uh, respect you made, you made an incredible Fishburne case. Fishburn case. Yeah. I think I'll think about him differently as an actor now because mm-hmm. of the case that you made. Mm-hmm. But it is always it's Walken's movie in my head. It has to be Walken's movie. Well, we should plug Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, we don't need to have nah, seen that damn thing. Oscars now. are coming. <laughs> um, but you're going to come back on and do Fast Break at some point in your life. I am absolutely going to do Fast, <laughs> fast Break. Fast Break, no, Bears are breaking trading. Like just bad 70s sports I will, movies. I will literally, I will be happy in particularly to do another trifecta, all right, of uh, uh, Fast Break, Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. Again, big William, uh, big William uh, Devane fan. Oh, he's unbelievable right. in that yeah. movie. And uh, uh, one-on-one. This you is heard your, it. This is your dream. You heard this it. This is Bill Simmons' dream. <laughs> From his dream. mouth to God's ears. 
What am I going to do with him? We'll have other people on. No, I, I, for sports movies, I, I can't imagine not doing it with you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, Sean Fennessy, Quentin, thank you so much. Thanks, that man. was The Rewatchables. My pleasure. All right, thanks to uh, State Farm and thanks to Pepsi. Remember, with the new year officially here and everyone vowing to restrictive resolutions, Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a little bit differently by encouraging everyone to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. You'll know that we are living this here at The Rewatchables with a couple of the movies that we pick uh, for February and March that are on the 2020 schedule. But you know what? We unapologetically love the movies we're going to talk about in 2020, no matter what happens. Is it 2020 or 2020? Whatever you want to say, it's up to you because Pepsi, that's what I like. Uh, We will see you next week on The Rewatchables for The Reheat, the 100th episode. Oh, yeah, it's happening.